0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. And it must be Friday because uh, Washington is in chaos. And, uh, you know, weather continues to impact. Crazy stories out of France. Uh, Apparent standoff with an ISIS Oof. member. Hmm. So.
3: And you missed the fire drill. That's right. Oh, we had
2: an early, early morning fire drill. There yep. were three of us. Did you guys just all go huddle out in the parking lot? The few and the faithful.
3: In the rain. In the rain. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. That, that would have been fun found out that HR has flashcards with all the staff in the building on it. They try to memorize our names. Oh, yeah. Was 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 HR here? There was a member of HR, yeah.
4: We also found out that I was not on any of their
3: clipboards. (laughs) Oh, so you would be dead. So, uh, yeah. I'm like, Jeff, do you actually work here? Has this all been a facade the entire time? I get a paycheck, so I assume that I'm technically supposed to work here. That's why they look at you funny. He's the deep state spy at BYU Radio. (laughs)
2: Yeah, okay, this is starting to make sense.
3: He's trying to undermine everything we've been trying to accomplish. Did the fire department show up? No, it was Uh, a drill.
2: That would have been fun. I found out a
4: a minute before it happened. Oh, you did? Peggy informed me. See,
2: Peggy's in the know. Peggy's in the know. Well, it is Friday, and uh, a lot of times on Thursday it seems to kind of get un- Unhitched at the White House, well, and a lot of stuff starts to go down
3: on Friday. Executive time extends into a plane ride to Mar a Lago, so we true. have to get the business of state accomplished. That might
2: be it, and because uh, now the president is has released his his head attorney for his yeah. m- Mueller case. It looks like John oh, Bolton. Come on, I know John Bolton's going to come in and replace. McMaster. Oh, he is. Yeah, oh, it's it's happening. Heavens. Okay, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going so, on?
3: Overnight, the Senate passed a $1.3 trillion spending package to keep the government running ahead of Friday night sh- uh, shutdown deadline. The omnibus bill, uh, me- let's see, its spending measure, which had faced opposition from the GOP lawmakers, passed with a 65 to 32 vote, will fund the government through September 30th. So, go ahead, put that on your calendar okay. on September 30th. So, we're good to September now. Yet another budget fight. By the
2: way, we're living, it almost feels like we're living paycheck to paycheck we as a country. We
3: kind of <laughs> are as a country. It's interesting. Um, so, it's a 2,000 page bill. The House passed the bill early Thursday. That was less than 24 hours after the 2,000 page bill. Paul Rand, or Rand Paul, yeah. I always get his oh, name in. He, He's standing there Phil on Filibuster? Uh, no, he was on Twitter holding the 2,300 page bill. Yeah. He goes, yeah, we're voting on this in twenty four hours. I mean they had they had come on. They had twenty four hours to read it. Right. Speed read. <laughs> come on, get a skill. But it, it faces some staunch GOP opposition in the Senate where Rand Paul spent much of the day criticizing what he called the crumbulous spending plan. Ooh. See what he did there, Crumbly, yeah. it's a crummy, crumbulous. Several Republicans slammed the legislation for what they saw as wasteful spending. President Trump has reportedly already signed the bill or agreed to sign the bill, which also includes new sanctions against Russia. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster will resign, the New York Times reports, and will be replaced by John Bolton. Bolton is a Fox News analyst and former U.S. ambassador oh. to the United Nations. McMaster's departure comes a week after Trump fired his Secretary of State, and it comes ahead of a potential summit between Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Uh,
2: Bolton's the guy with the big mustache.
3: Yes. When I'm the big suit strainer. Oh, that's a different Bolton. Oh, okay. After 34 years of service to our nation, uh, I am requesting retirement from the U.S. Army effective this summer, as which I will leave public service, McMaster said in a statement. Bolton favors military, military action in North Korea and Iran. We know that because he wrote a op-ed piece for the Wall Street Journal saying... Well, uh what so something about options for first strike against North Korea that was a month ago I well
2: think. but he's also on Fox News every every day and so now we
3: at least know president trump will know what his
2: policies are
3: apparently he told the president he will not start a war that was part of <laughs> yeah, his that's good news his hmm. interviewing process yeah, he's very will very start a they war say. yeah so we we'll see where this with- goes
2: uh, President Bush, President Reagan, he President was, Herbert Walker. He, he Bush. was
3: heavily in favor of the Iraq War. Yeah, uh, that Trump was heavily against at the same time. So there's uh, maybe there's some strange. issues there. We'll see. Protest erupted in Sacramento late Thursday night, four days after police shot and killed an unarmed black man in his grandmother's backyard. Uh, Stephon Clark, 22, was shot Sunday. Police later said they believed he was armed, but investigators only found a cell phone on his body. Thursday night, protesters chanting, Black Lives Matter, blocked the entrance to a scheduled NBA game where the Sacramento Kings defeated the Atlanta Hawks in a nearly empty arena. Mm. Outside the arena, protesters linked arms, blocked fans from entering the building, and chanted, join us or go home. Whoa. Uh, to those trying to get inside, marchers, uh, that day started at City Hall in Sacramento, chanting, don't shoot, it's a cell phone, and then shut down Interstate 5 during rush hour. Officials reported no arrests and little violence. Wow. So, people not happy. Um, let's see, with Trump, uh, back to the H.R. McMaster yeah. f- firing, John Bolton hiring. This is the third person who is a Fox News analyst to be hired in recent weeks. Well, he, remember, he was going to create his own network.
2: Yes. And now, apparently, he's doing it. It's, yeah. It's just called the White House.
3: So he hired a lawyer to be on his on his uh, his legal team. Yeah. With this whole uh, Mueller investigation. He hired uh, the, uh... What, economic advisor, he was a guy on CNBC, hmm. brought that guy Kudlow, brought him on board. And then yesterday with John Bolton, who, yes, he's been in the UN. Yes, yeah. he has all that kind of experience with um, uh, diplomacy on some level. But, uh, well, with being an ambassador, obviously. and uh, But he's been on TV for over a decade, and that's where the president has been when, watching him. When will
2: he get Hannity on board?
3: Pretty soon. He needs a chief of staff at some point, because John yeah. Kelly's probably going to be on the outs because... Trump's getting by him, apparently, yeah, and feels happy about it. Those are the reports. He's like, I'm not under anyone's control anymore. Wow. This is crazy. <sighs> Finally, this story made me laugh. The Indiana State Police pulled over a 707-horsepower uh, Dodge Challenger. Uh, it's called a Hellcat. That's the type of uh, vehicle it oh, is, Oh, I right? thought that
2: was an airplane.
3: No, but it's got 707 horsepower. Wow. But like my car has 305. Ah! So it's a very powerful vehicle. By the way, that car sounds horrible. It was going more than twice the speed limit on a toll road in Indiana Tuesday, clocked at 160 miles an hour. What? Whoa. The department said Whoa, the statement. Nelly. The driver, <laughs> so the, the police chased him down. And they, the, the the police car on the, the dash cam video got to over 150 miles an hour, but couldn't catch the car, so he called ahead to other cops. They blocked off the road and stopped him. Uh. When they stopped him, the driver purportedly told an officer that he was just trying to get to Maryland. Well, Yeah. So the, the he's in Indiana. I, he's like, I'm just trying hey, to get to Maryland. Can a guy not drive to Maryland? Because if he was talking, if he was talking about the state of Maryland, there are probably better ways to get there than driving twice the speed limit in an eighty thousand dollar muscle car. Yes, for ten hours. That's how long it would take.
2: Well, plus you'd get ticketed in every state. Don't the, they impound your car if you're going at some too point, fast? Yeah, I would not pound that.
3: Says car. the Indiana State Police said in the statement that the car was the second. In the past 2 weeks to be caught going 100 and th- more than uh, 130 miles an hour on this toll road in Indiana. Jeez. They need some S curves. Something to slow people down. Yeah. Man. How do you, and how do you I'll even like Wow. There's some horsepower right
2: there. Wow. Jeff pulled is pulling out every audio <laughs> clip we have. It's like we're on Top here. <laughs> you don't have anything with like farm animals or a goat?
4: Hey, the horse, that made sense. That
3: totally did. Let's do it like Top Gear. Let's and celebrate just, the V8 engine. I do have the farm noise if you want me no, to pull gonna, that up. is okay. that,
2: uh, That's a V8 still with that much horsepower? Yeah. yeah.
3: It's really ter- sounds- souped up, turbocharged. Yeah. It's got some adrenaline in there.
4: It sounds a lot like Jeff Solara.
3: Okay. All turboed up. Nice. I,
4: you know, sometimes I think you wish you had
3: my Toyota Solara. I totally do. But the Solara is more like a hamster on a wheel. A it's hamster. Not, it, it, it's more like a boat. It's huge. It's long. No, I'm talking about the engine. Oh, I see. It's yeah. not a. It's not a, a there, 707 power. It's horsepower. a V6. Yeah, but you know. Is it? Yes. No.
2: No. Is it really?
3: It's more of a V. It's more of a four. It's cylinder It's a heavy
2: V. It's a heavy V.
3: It's a four-cylinder. Light Just on a the little six. bigger. There's so, there's two of it. The two of cylinders that are in there just for show. They don't actually work. And so, worse,
4: it's, it's called class. Solara. So any spec that I tell you about my car, the only reason I know it's on there is because it's written on the car. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd have no clue.
2: It's a sweet. It really is a sweet ride. Seriously, uh, many a grandma in the 90s loved it. <laughs> no, it really is a great ride. And you got a good deal for it. Many, I got a great
3: deal. Many current grandpas apparently like my car. Do they? Yeah, that's the, nobody likes my car. The marketing data shows that my car is. You don't highly, even like your car. I don't even like my car.
2: I actually like it. I like it. It's it's peppy. It's speedy. Hey, up next we will be talking about radical inclusion. That is uh, what the post 9/11 world should have taught us about leadership. You got to include everybody. This is the Matt Townsend show. Is it that as our access to information dramatically increases, our views appear to become more narrow? Well, uh, here to talk about it is Ori Brofman. He's the author of the book Radical Inclusion... What the post 9 11 world should have taught us about leadership. And he's going to be joining us uh, to talk about his book. Uh, Ori is a New York Times best selling uh, uh, author, and he specializes in organizational culture, employee engagement, business transformation, uh, leadership, and emerging technologies. Ori, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt. Good to have you. Thanks to, thanks, because it's never easy, I think, to get up as early as we are, Ori. Um, (laughs) But here's the question for you: Is uh, we do live in a time with so much information, with so much data, but it seems like more and more we're just becoming more narrowly focused as humans.
5: Right. What's happening uh, from a technological perspective is we're getting so much more information and it's so much easier for any uh, single person to produce information that in, the cont- in that process, without intending to, we sometimes get the wrong information. Um, and I have uh, this kind of uh, uh, mind exercise. Yeah. Let's say, um, can I convince you that there is a fire in Chicago right now? And if I know which social media outlets you go to, I can probably show you that there's a fire. Um, but then if I go to your friend and can kind I of convince them that there isn't a fire in Chicago? If I know their social media huh. patterns, I can probably show them Chicago being totally fine. And you ask yourself, well, which information is more accurate? Is Chicago on fire or is it not? And in order to actually verify the information, in order to actually have, uh, to be able to tell what's really going on, you basically need someone who you trust in Chicago, and you call them up and say, hey, is, is, is everything okay in Chicago or not? And you think about that in terms of the information that we consume, we need inclusion in order to make better decisions
2: mm. and, and yeah and, and i guess we need inclusion and and distribution don't we i guess i need to i need to make sure that i have people in chicago
5: absolutely and we need uh a diversity of people around us and what we mean by diversity is not just uh racial diversity or gender diversity also diversity of thought so i teach at uc berkeley um and my co-author is uh, Martin Dempsey, who was the head of the military. And he said, like, how would someone like <laughs> – mm. how, how would these two guys start writing a book together? And we recognize that for our country, for us to have good information, for us to um, bring back the the values that really make our country what it is, we need to reach our, uh, across to people who we don't normally interact with.
2: Yeah. that, And, it, I mean, again, it makes so much sense. And we see how – how easily uh swayed you know social media can or what social media can do to sway us, talk about overall leadership because it seems like we're in a weird place with our leaders as well where they they may not necessarily know how to lead in this new age
5: yeah we're living in a very different time where um we're moving away from um the age of debates and debates are either uh right or wrong and Because of social media, we're moving more towards uh, competing narratives, where a narrative is either interesting or boring, and you can apply that to the national stage. Um, In order to be effective, to effectively get information, and in order to effectively disseminate our narrative, uh, we need to think about inclusion not just as a nice-to-have, but as a strategic imperative.
2: Interesting. And inclusion, you mean inclusion of of multiple thought, multiple uh, – I mean as many different points of view and diversity as you can get.
5: Exactly. And we tend to in organizations and even families think about inclusion as kind of a uh, – Uh, Almost like detention, right? Like, oh, you have to invite that uncle to uh, dinner or or at work. You have to attend some workshop about diversity. And we look at it differently. We look at inclusion as really uh, creating a sense of belonging. And how do we have people around us have a sense of belonging in our shared narrative? How do we really make it matter? Uh, the instincts that we talk about in the book are, uh, first, listen, uh, and listen effectively. Second, amplify. How do you amplify the voices that are saying reasonable things that that, that need to be heard? And the third, of course, is include. Hmm. Listen,
2: amplify, and include. Uh, one of the interesting things, too, about I think the book is the title because you bring up the post 9-11 world and, and the idea that what it should have taught us was radical inclusion. What what was it about post 9-11 that was so core to the need for radical inclusion?
5: Um, so before 9-11, uh, the kind of terrorist groups and things like that were tended to be more uh, hierarchical, that is, top-down organizations. And 9-11 all of a sudden showed the huge power of decentralization, Um, Al-Qaeda and all those uh, kind of organizations. Um, And since then, we've seen decentralization uh, have a huge effect on the market, Uh, everything from Wikipedia to uh, things that we hear about, blockchain, etc. And what we argue is there's now been another shift and the shift has been that oftentimes the videos are the organization and we don't mean that in a kind of flippant way we mean that in a literal way um, so you think about uh you know great uh uh things that have taken off uh on videos like the ice bucket challenge mm. or things like that um, but there's also been some pretty harmful uh videos um uh and terrorist videos and uh, videos about coal rolling, all, all sorts of things like that. And um, oftentimes what happens is that the videos uh, want to, we need to kind of think about them as almost living organisms. And living organisms want to do two things. They want to eat and they want to reproduce. And the way that videos eat is they get uh, viewership. The way that we produce is they uh, attract derivative content, So you all of a sudden have someone doing an action on a video, and then people uh, essentially do copycat uh, videos, Mm. and that starts getting its own momentum. And all of a sudden, uh, we're living in a world where the videos are essentially uh, kind of in charge, and it's kind of flipping things over. And the reason we need inclusion is – We need to have the rational voices uh, be dictating the narrative.
2: Yeah. In fact, uh, boy, you see that a lot. Uh, Poor United Airlines in a way where they they had a video come out of the police removing someone from one of their airplanes and it it impacted their financial bottom line. It impacted, you know, their public relations. Um, Plus, they've had many other uh, kind of PR problems since then. But how do leaders... Handle it because, they, in a way, with all the video and all of these other kind of derivative uses of of video, um, leaders are are losing control, and it's got to be making them afraid. And then when they get afraid, they probably act opposite of what you'd suggest.
5: I, I, absolutely, so right. Let, let's imagine twenty years ago that we'd go to a, a United executive and say, "You know what?" this thing called YouTube might really be affecting your <laughs> company. Uh, it's the last thing that, that they would have thought. Uh, something's happening with uh, Toyota. Uh, people in Priuses, uh, there's the one video of a woman in a Prius uh, uh, shouting profanities at a family in a pickup truck. And uh, the, 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 there's now this kind of sentiment of, uh, hey, uh, don't, don't, don't drive uh, a Toyota because it's for uh, you know, hippies. Mm. And Toyota is like, you know, Toyota makes trucks. Well, why are they all of a sudden uh, uh, being affected so much by these videos? And the thing that you absolutely are right about is we tend to try in those situations to exert control, but we don't recognize that there is an economic cost to control. And that the more there's videos out there, the more there's we're living in an age of narratives, the more control ironically becomes ineffective hmm. um, so we really need to uh, ask ourselves is is this a problem that exerting more control is going to solve, or is this a problem where inclusion is going to solve? the issue, that we need to allow people to be heard. And I think that that's what we're seeing. We're we're, we're about to see that this weekend with the Parkland kids. Right. Demanding to be heard. And wherever you are on a debate, I think we need to really um, amplify these voices, uh, especially these younger voices who uh, are so wanting to be heard and so wanting to have an impact on the world in a positive way.
2: Talk about it, because in the book you do you differentiate between control and power, and um, and I think you do it in a in a, a very important way. What what would you say is the difference between uh, because you might need to relinquish power, I guess, to to gain more control.
5: Right. You look at it even on on the most uh, on the international stage, um, and we are increasingly uh, deciding to go at it alone. Yeah. Um, and uh, co- uh, controlled uh, the stage that way. The problem with that is that that's going to be really costly. Uh, from, a, from a purely pragmatic way, that's going to be very costly to try to uh, either police the world or uh, go at it alone if we have a conflict with another country, as opposed to an approach of uh, being much more pragmatic and therefore collaborative. And inclusive of partners and knowing that in this era we just can't go at it alone Um, and I think what applies in a national stage applies in a family Um, how do you one of my favorite stories that uh, I've I've, I've seen um, I I do a lot of work with military families um, and I was visiting this family and uh, they're uh, four four children and, and they're all uh, the first two children were kind of the kids that you'd expect to see in uh, uh, a military family. And the youngest, uh, this, this kid, Patrick, was just different in, in a wonderful way. You yeah. know, just was more artistic and, and more. And you think that in a military family, you know, with, with, a, with a dad who's a general, they'd, they'd kind of scold him or uh, yeah. try to get him to, to, to fit into the square. And instead, said they celebrated it. And they're all like, wow, Patrick does such wonderful uh, – uh, has such wonderful views or does uh, uh, such wonderful things. And that level of embracing of that difference uh, made him such a healthy family and such a happier family than instead trying to control his behavior and and, and uh, have him fit into a mold. And I think mm-hmm. that we can apply that to families and to businesses alike.
2: Absolutely. We're speaking with Ori Brofman. Who is the author of the book Radical Inclusion? What the What the post nine eleven world should have taught us about leadership, uh, Ori is a multiple New York Times best selling author. He specializes in organizational culture, employee engagement, leadership, and emerging technologies. Ori, when I when I look at this um, and, and your points of we need to listen more, amplify, and you know, and then include other uh, ideas into the conversation. How? What do you suggest we do to actually make the the leap? To uh, I guess put down our egos, put down our historic arguments and our fears. That you know, if we open up our minds, that it might harm us. What are some things we can tangibly, actually do to 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 really listen and be influenced by others?
5: Um. One of the first things about listening is that we need to remember that listening is not just about closing uh, closing our mi- our uh, mouth yeah. and opening our ears. It's also a systemic thing. So uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was uh, in uh, so I'm I'm vegan. I started a vegan nonprofit when I was in college. And uh, through my work with the military, I ended up in uh, Kansas, in Baldwin, Kansas, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, Hmm. in a hunting lodge. (laughs) There's all these animal heads around me, and I'm talking to this guy in the military who uh, talks to me about bow hunting. And I'm doing just trying to understand uh, how, he, uh, how he views life. And in, in, in the middle of the conversation, says, he says, you know, you Berkeley guys aren't that bad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I guess thanks. Thank and you. It, and, and I recognize that when you put politics aside for a moment and you look at values, our values as Americans, oftentimes very much the same. And if I compared this guy from the Army to a lot of my friends from Berkeley, the values of service, the values of trying to help the world uh, are very similar. So the first thing I would say is, how do we look at values? How do we slow down and and start looking at values? But then we also look at very pragmatic things that leaders uh, can do in order to create a sense of belonging, um, how do we really make things matter? How do we translate that to uh, the people around us and see that their efforts actually are having an effect? How do we give them memories? Um, it's, it's these small uh, changes that uh, get people to feel that they really belong, and it 's also from us from a f- philosophical perspective to recognize that we need each other in order to um, have be, and in order to be really effective yeah
2: what would you suggest Ori to uh, a father or a mother that is they 're raising their kids and they really want to create leaders for the future, but also radically inclusive leaders um, what What would you suggest we do and teach our kids? That would you think
5: make a big difference down the road? So we're uh, writing a uh, article that's coming out today, actually, um, and I think that this next generation—we haven't named this next generation yet—the the 12 to 14 year olds—I think what we're seeing that is very inspiring is that uh, this is a, is a generation of inclusion, that they're really embracing inclusion in a in a wonderful way. And what we can do is we can amplify the behavior that we really like or the thoughts that we really appreciate. And if we just think about it from a perspective of amplification of the good, boy, we can get to a lot of conflict that way. And, boy, can we actually uh, make people feel that they're important. It's a great it's, – it's just a great word
2: too, amplification of the good. Um well Ori we appreciate you and uh, your great work. This is uh, I think it's it's long needed. We I think we all feel stress in our society because we don't necessarily sense this radical inclusion. We sense uh, you know this need to control this this almost exclusion of one another, and I think it's I think it stresses us all out. So we do appreciate your insight. Again, Ori Broffman, you can find out more on his website, Ori Go check out the book Radical Inclusion: What the Post nine eleven World Should Have Taught Us About Leadership. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
1: Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions.
6: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball!
2: Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, isn't it interesting that uh, leadership experts, as they're studying leadership, they're, they're now talking about the need for radical inclusion. We need more and more ideas. We need to allow more people in on the conversation, maybe draw bigger circles. So that we can we can kind of all fit in this together. Um, I I've been uh, f- seeing this same kind of movement going on. Where I always I always I don't know what I, if it's a joke, but I am always saying, you know, we're one we're one disaster away from a, a b- very big problem. We're one disaster away from totally needing each other, right? And we see that when we have a kind of a local tragedy or. Uh, Even when you just see someone in your neighborhood that's uh, been diagnosed with cancer, people gather around and and they take care of it. In an address um, at the Vatican recently, uh, Pope Francis, this was uh, I think about maybe within the last year, Pope Francis spoke out strongly against what he called the terrorism of gossip. And gossip to me is the opposite of that coming together, that that uh, that you know, belonging sense that we feel when we are together uh, fighting for the same cause. Gossip, I think, is something that actually tears us away from that. And so one of the things I wanted to focus on in our Coach's Corner today is talking about how we we can really learn to love our neighbor, lose some of those little habits the techniques we have of pushing our neighbors away and one of those would be to to kind of lose the gossip let's let's set a goal all of us following the you know the admonition of pope francis about the the gossip the terrorism of gossip and learn to control our tongues uh, maybe what we could do is just simply especially with our own kids our own family say that we we're going to do whatever we can to, uh, to eliminate gossip from our house. We won't talk about other people in negative light. We instead will, as our last guest taught us, amplify, uh, amplify the positive, amplify the things that we see that are good out in the world. And maybe part of what we could do is try to actually just start to have conversations around the dinner table, conversations around home about the positive things that we saw what were the good things we saw people do today and ask ask our kids to share those examples in fact more importantly ask them to be those examples wouldn't it be interesting if we were all would go home every day and talk with our spouse and our kids about the good things that happened today and the people that influenced your life for good today i wonder i wonder if your name would be mentioned by the people around you would would your acts today be so impactful that you would make their list of people that, that made a difference, of people that really, truly um, have have helped. So that's one idea. Another idea is we we can learn to humanize the people around us also. We don't have to demonize everybody. Everybody doesn't have to be the spawn of darkness, slowly trying to destroy your life. Sometimes people just drive slow. Sometimes they just cut in front of you. Sometimes people just you know, they're humans. And if we could actually start to see people more as humans, and one way to do this um, is just, you know, think about why you would do a similar thing. Well, I would never pull in front of somebody. I always check my mirror. Yeah, except for that time you didn't, right? And then you did pull in front of someone. And so if I followed you long enough, I call it the Ken Starr defense. You remember Ken Starr was investigating uh the uh, the white water and all of the President Clinton, you know, stuff. And uh, as he was investigating, if, you know, if I put millions and millions of dollars behind an investigation team to follow you for a year, what would we find? And I'm going to bet we'd find some problems. You know, you're kind of a bad neighbor. Sometimes you drive on their sprinkler accidentally as you're pulling your car out backwards. Be careful to, to uh, demonize somebody, and the only reason we do it is because it's easy. But the minute we are demonizing everybody around us, we, we really are tightening in the circle, and it's going to cause and create even more problems for us. Another um, idea is to literally lift your neighbor like you lift yourself. We're really good at writing great stories about how we live, how we work, how blessed we are, how gifted, how we've touched the hand of God kind of thing that – Sure, our talents are incredible. We're really good at that. And then we kind of lower everyone else's story. One of the things we might want to start doing is lifting stories, build better stories about other people. Hold up what they do really well. Share more stories about the good of others. And and literally help them write a better story. You might even know people that are really they're they're very adept and skilled at at not telling very good stories about themselves. And they need more help. They need, they need to know how to do it. They need better examples of better stories. So nothing is more powerful than when you're talking to somebody and you highlight what's great about them. Sometimes they look at you like, are you seriously being this positive about me? <laughs> they can't believe it. So, uh, I, you know, it's, it's not easy, but build those stories up. There's nothing better, I think, than hearing something positive about you from somebody that heard it from someone else, you know? That means it's getting out there. People think you're great. So be loyal to those people that aren't around you and be positive and and lift them up. And uh, and I think if we do that, we, we end up lifting everybody up. One other little tool I would just suggest uh, to hopefully— create a a more lifting neighbor kind of relationship is eliminate the middleman. Quit taking your grievances to someone else. Let's start going directly to the person. And it might simply be our fear that we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it without causing a scene. We don't know how they will respond. But instead of being more passive aggressive, why don't we just be a neighbor? Instead of gossiping to air our grievances, why don't we just go talk to the person? And find out what's going on. And uh, don't even just get mean about it. I know people that set up garbage cans in front of their house because they don't want anyone to park in front of their house. And, okay, fine, fine. But come on, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk. It's 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 an old thing we used to do before all this technology came around. We used to just kind of talk to each other. And I know it it's hard, it's not easy, but it's just what's right that's what we do to be a healthy adult. We talk anyway, just a few simple, simple solutions to uh, lift one another and be a better neighbor and create hopefully a better a better culture and a better life for all of us. Up next, we're going to be talking about why teens are more entrepreneurial than their parents. This is the Matt Townsend show, Helping you be the Good in the World Whitney Johnson is an investor, a speaker, and a published author. She's the founder and managing director of Springboard Fund and co-founder of Rose Park Advisors along with Clayton Christensen who's the Harvard professor. Uh, Whitney Johnson talks about why teens and young people are more entrepreneurial than their parents. I interviewed her a, uh, a little while ago, and I, I wanted to revisit a part of the interview. I began the interview talking about my kids and how they took it upon themselves to learn skills, and now they're making some real money.
7: It's interesting about that as we're seeing this more and more. I had a similar experience with my daughter, who 14-year-old daughter, who decided that she wanted to go to Korea this summer with one of her friend's families. And so we said, okay, that's fantastic. You can go, but you've got to earn the money. Yeah. So, you know, in her situation, she wasn't old enough to go out to get a traditional job. So she started baking bread and baking cinnamon rolls and selling it to our neighbors. And lo and behold, she's now earned the $3,000 that she wow. needs to go to Korea. So yeah, it's interesting. And so one of the things that was fascinating for us is we looked at her we thought, okay, is she the exception or is she the rule? And We did this very quick poll on Facebook, Facebook's good for that kind of thing, and said to our friends, okay, so how did you make money when you were in high school, and how do your kids make money? And one of the things that we found is that for our peers, and so people who are Gen Xers and boomers, about 60% of them had very traditional teen jobs, you know, the flipping burgers, the waiting tables, which is what I did. I worked at a burger pick Pitt in San Jose, California. Um, but then when I asked what their children did, we found that only 12% of them had these really traditional jobs. And so we started, my husband and I both started looking at this and saying, okay, what's going on here? Why is this different? And what does this mean for the future? And so that was the question that we set out to answer in, in this piece that we wrote for Harvard Business Review.
2: And w- what did you come up with? It's is it what's different about it? I mean, I guess I guess kids used to kind of be a little uh, creative and entrepreneurial. They'd go get the old lemonade stand going or whatever. They'd have a paper route. But this is more exactly. this is more independent, like
7: driven. It absolutely is. I think there there is there's a confluence of factors happening. I think one is just the media. I mean, we if you think about shows like Shark Tank. Feels yeah. like that we're not on when we're children, and it's featuring these young entrepreneurs, these really feel good stories of these kids chasing their dreams and having success. And you can see that see that playing out in a Gallup poll that came out that eight out of ten kids want to be their own boss, and four out of ten want to start their own business. I think another thing that's happening is that. While there are some children that are, or teenagers that are more entrepreneurial, there are some that aren't. And so one of the things that we saw with our daughter is that there was this huge groundswell of support from our neighbors. I mean, they could have gone to the store and bought bread. It would certainly have been less expensive than $5 or low for even cinnamon rolls. But when they saw that she was willing to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to bake bread on a Saturday, they were more than happy to support her in buying this bread so that she could go and chase her own dream. Mm. Uh, I think another thing that's happening is that technology, I mean, it's so much easier to start a business than it was when we were young. I mean, one example that I I came up with, and there's lots of them, 17-year-old teenager, Nick D'Alessio, in Australia. He's an app developer, and he was able to develop this app that summarizes the news. He sold it to Yahoo for $30 million. Now, I know that's an outlier, but if you think about it, for a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, yeah. they don't need to go into the office to start a business. Right. start it right in their own home. Um, and then I think the fourth thing I would say is college It's so competitive to get into college. And so one of the things kids are doing is, how do I differentiate myself? And again, like you said at the beginning, um, you know, you may have kids that are like, okay, I want to do a paper route. But now it's like you need to not only have a paper route, but you need to be the person who's running the paper route. And it's not enough to contribute to the school newspaper. Maybe you should just start a newspaper online and see if you can make money off of it. And so kids are really looking at ways to make themselves much more competitive um, in terms of getting into college.
2: It's an so, entire paradigm shift, isn't it? That, yes,
7: that absolutely.
2: It, and it's more individualistic. It's 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 like I don't necessarily need to go to college. We used to have the hoops we had to dr- jump through and get the MBA before we could ever be a business success, we believed. And then it seems like people you – know, even Bill Gates kind of blew that up. You don't have to finish school. uh you don't have to finish your MBA program or whatever at Harvard. But in the end, it's like the kid's like, well, I can design an app right now. and right. And they're already that's trying right. it, right? That's
7: right. And I think you – yeah, and you're absolutely – I mean to your point about going to college, there is definitely an increase – there's a shift that's happening in the education world of people saying – you know do we really want to measure measure college credits? Shouldn't we just be measuring competencies? Shouldn't we just see what people can do and do they need to go to college to be able to do that? And I think that's that's still in the offing. That's not happening yet.
5: Mm-hmm. It certainly
7: hasn't become mainstream. But I think that's the natural extension or consequence of what we're seeing now as our as our kids are becoming much more entrepreneurial.
2: oh it's it's a powerful uh, shift. I, I wonder as as a parent, if um how, how you instill that, maybe these are kind of the early adopters, like your child, my child. Some of these are the ones that just kind of naturally do it or they they might have a natural skill set that leads to it or, a t- you know, just a love to control. And I don't know what it is, but it, I'm afraid. Uh, you know what I'm if you're the parent that what if your kid doesn't yeah. do it? You know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, are these kids getting behind if they don't if they don't well, become a little more independent?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a combination of, uh, you know, as we said, you need to get into college. I think having a tough economy has certainly made made a difference. I think a lot of these kids have grown up seeing their parents being out of work or not having jobs. And so they're, you know, if you say to your child, it's a lot easier to say to your child, I don't have $3,000 for you to go to Korea mm-hmm. than it is to say, well, I do have $3,000, but I'm not going to give it to you, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a little bit that happens there. Um, what I would say from a, as a parent, um, if if our kids aren't as entrepreneurial, I think we need to be willing to let them fail and sort of see the consequences of, okay, if I don't work hard, I'm not going to get what I want. Mm-hmm. Sooner rather than later, um, and then of course there are going to be some children like your daughter who just were motivated, and then they're going to they're going to have an advantage. So we try to give our kids who may not be as motivated opportunities where they can fail enough so that they figure out, oh, maybe I do need to be motivated, and and think about approaching the workplace, approaching school in a more innovative fashion.
2: That was uh, Whitney, uh, Whitney Johnson. And why are teens more entrepreneurial than their parents? Pretty cool insights uh but here 's the deal as we wrap up this hour it 's a very, very special time on the show, uh, and so we wanted to take the last few minutes it 's a birthday day it 's a happy birthday to Jeffrey Liam
4: Simpson. Do I need to hold these for the entire yes. show okay
2: so Terry went out <laughs> so amazing. Terry spent the morning uh, Terry wow blowing up balloons.
3: Getting a Uh, cake. I did not. Setting up a birthday party. This is something HR does. They bring balloons around. When they brought them to my desk, I yeah. sat and watched and waited. And then when they placed them at the desk, I popped every balloon and put it in the garbage, so no one would know they happened. Wow, that no sounds one would know a they little existed. harsh. It was a bit extreme, That's a lot harsh, but it kept everyone from knowing when it was my birthday, and I didn't so, have to deal I mean, with that.
4: Don't your kids like to play with balloons? Yeah, but
3: I'm talking about work. Oh, okay. I want to have work, not have like people going, "Hey, happy birthday!" When
2: we know. have a we have a great tradition in my family called the spanking machine. And we'd like you, we're going to have everyone on the team kind of line up, and uh, you're going to go through the spanking machine. Ouch. There, That was Terry. Oh, there's Terry again. Terry, quit it! <laughs> um, congrats, Jeffrey. How how old are you today?
4: Well, I wouldn't want to press the button that many times, well, yeah. but 35.
2: 35 years. Mm-hmm.
4: True blue millennial.
2: Ah. Wrong. Do you have any, you know, any great advice for your birthday? For the rest you know, of us, you
4: know, play with your kids.
2: Play with my kids? Yes. You're telling people to play with my kids. Yes. It's nice of you. Not sure that they want want to
4: play with all these people.
2: But play with your kids. That's yes. great advice. Yes. That helps you stay
4: younger. Uh, kiss your wife kiss your wife well don't kiss matt's wife don't kiss my wife kiss your own wife. play with his kids but don't kiss his wife (laughs) that's
2: great advice happy birthday
4: thank you do you have
2: anything special planned
4: well the the one plan that my wife had uh did not pan out she was going to take me to a movie that is not playing anywhere here in utah (laughs) we found
1: out last night bummer
2: well we'll figure something out maybe just watch youtube He did it, folks. Jeffrey Liam Simpson, 35 years young and never been kissed except by his wife on their wedding. Wrong. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you celebrate your birthday with Jeff Simpson.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
8: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Lots to cover today. So much going on. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. Doing what we can to uh, give you the tools you need. Today, by the way, we finally, finally hmm. have the researcher that we have cited, probably more than any other researcher on this show, about loneliness. Julianne holt Lundstead should be joining us. She'll be talking about her research, why loneliness can be more damaging to your body uh, than, than, than anything else. Interesting thing about the research, by the way, it's the equivalent. Being lonely is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It has the same impact on your life, on your health. So we will be talking with her to uh, to get the full story. Um, and, and by the way, uh, it actually does apply with what's going on in the news because President Trump was asked, if you could go back to your younger self, what advice would oh, you give yourself? And he <laughs> said, I wouldn't uh, – don't run for president. Yeah. Because it's probably a very lonely thing.
1: This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it.
2: Mm, yeah. He's not proud of it, but maybe he should be. Uh, he's he's had a, a really busy Thursday. And uh, Terry has a hypothesis it's because on Friday he usually has to go to Mar a Lago. He's gotta
3: clear you to have travel time.
2: You gotta get stuff done. Yeah. So Thursday went crazy. He he fired his his head attorney, he uh
3: Or he stepped down, whatever. Yeah,
2: whatever. But whatever it the was national
3: security advisor H. R. McMaster either resigned or was fired. Whatever. Still not sure. Whatever. Yeah.
2: Um, and then some other fiascos were yeah. that came out in the news. Not going to get into those. No. But it was a busy day.
3: Yeah. And then this morning, he may or may not sign the new spending bill. It yeah. needs to be finalized by tonight, oh. or they shut the government down.
2: And he found out that China's not going to take
3: tariffs lightly. Oh, right. They're yeah. now going to tax or tariff- Soybeans? 150 products. Soy gum, uh, yeah. pigs, any, any hogs oh, they're boy. shipping out of, out of the country. The, we'll the just bacon go to- tax. Bacon tax. That's what it'll be. Mm, I
2: love bacon tax. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's savory. A little sizzling bacon tax. <laughs> Yummy. Well, let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to?
3: President Trump and John Bolton, the incoming National Security Advisor, have spent the last several weeks trying to figure out how Bolton would replace H.R. McMaster, CNN reports. And during negotiations, a hawkish Fox News analyst made a bold statement. A person familiar with their talks told CNN that Bolton, who, while part of George W. Bush's administration, pushed for the Iraq War and called for strikes against North Korea and Iran, promised Trump that if he gave him the position, he wouldn't start any wars. Whew. there you go that's all that's it the looks, pretty much the requirement for if the you, national keep me in
2: position I promise I won't start a war there you go he's yeah okay,
3: and he's got that soup strainer mustache he's got that that
2: so if people don't know he's the guy that's always on Fox News with the big white mustache yeah and a lot of people are worried that he would start a war, so the mere fact that we're talking about how he had to state that he wouldn't start a war that's a little you know disconcerting.
3: In other news, President Trump, when asked Thursday if he would testify before Special Counsel Robert Mueller in the Russia probe, he responded, yes, I would like to. This remark came shortly after John Dowd, Trump's lead attorney in the investigation into whether the president's associates, colluded with Russians in the 2016 election, resigned. According to the New York Times, Dowd concluded that Mr. Trump was increasingly ignoring his advice, and though Trump testifying in front of Mueller would be a bad idea. Nightmare. But Trump wants to do it. It's great. Uh, See, that's... More power to him.
2: And again, I like his courage, but the problem is that he may not quite appreciate is you've got to tell the whole truth.
3: Oh. Right? Well, he's testified in multiple situations like this many, many times. He knows what he's doing. Okay. Uh, A 16-year-old girl shot at a Maryland high school earlier this week has been declared brain dead and being taken off life support, her mother said Thursday. Melissa Wiley said her daughter... uh, Jalen Lynn Wiley has no life left in her after Tuesday's shooting at the Great Mills High School in Maryland. The shooter thought to have targeted Wiley after their relationship recently ended. Yeah. He's dead. And, you know, this She's, is the outcome of yeah. this. Uh, this will undoubtedly be part of the motivation behind the March of Our Lives right. protest coming up this weekend.
2: Yeah. And again, obviously domestic issues, uh, which is a weird way to say it with high mm. school kids, but also... I'm sure some mental health issues and mm-hmm. gun issues, and again, happens in a school. Lots
3: of issues. Mm. Not one of them is more important than the other, and yeah. fixing a problem like that. But currently, not many of them are being addressed. Yeah, it,
2: none, if any, right. maybe on this case. I mean, so, maybe underage gun purchases.
3: It was a purchase. I think it was, oh, it was his a father's gun. His father, ah. yeah, so it's legal. He didn't even. It was in yeah. his house. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know what uh. the solution. Uh, other news, Re- Republican Senator Bob Corker questioned if the GOP has lost its soul during gra- giving comments Thursday ahead of the vote for the $1.3 trillion budget bill for the Republican Party to have the presidency and for the Republican Party to have the Senate and, and to have the House. And for us to be passing a bill today, obviously it couldn't happen without us. We control the agenda. For us to be in a situation where we're getting ready to pass a bill that adds $2 trillion in deficits over the next 10 years, it does have to be a wake-up call to people to whether that's the case, he says. If we had a Democratic president and Republicans controlling the House and Senate, I can't imagine us passing this bill.
2: Well, that's maybe in the old GOP. Yeah. But the new GOP is, you know, they're totally used to running up deficits.
3: So Corker got all... Uncorked. Uncorked. Uh, the House and Senate both passed the bill. The bill was sitting on the president's desk. He tweeted earlier, he's like, I may just veto this and I don't think this is what we need to do. Or he'll just sign it because you know Maralago. He's, I mean, a guy, a guy's got to get on the airplane. Got to get moving. Finally, breakfast is undoubtedly the best meal of the day. Bacon, hash browns. Uh, this is uh, out of the UK, so they go bacons, hash brown, beans, mm. bagels. Mm. They eat beans. Lots of yeah. Oh yeah. Those tantalizingly salty flavors are what get you up in the morning and set you up for hours ahead. You wouldn't want to make the memory of that heaven. Or says who wouldn't want to make the memory of that heavenly dish last as long as possible. Well, now you can. You can smell like a semi-continental breakfast because a bagel company has just launched a savory hair care set. Uh. Einstein Brothers Bagel celebrating the new sandwich release by offering a limited edition shampoo conditioner set inspired by the classic bagel fillings of cheese and bacon. Oh, a hair schmear. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) You can shampoo your hair with a nice cheesy offering before working some bacon flavored conditioner into your split ends. Oh, man. The cheesy shampoo and bacon Bacon conditioner set to be sold online for about $10. Remarkably, however, the store says they've actually run out of sets. They're sold out, and it's only available in the UK. Well, you know who's buying so this? Who's, who's buying Men. it? Men. They want to smell like cheese and bacon They all want day? their
2: wife to. Like, all of a sudden, Whoa. he's like, I don't know what it is, babe, but there's just something about your hair. I can't stop smelling it. You smell like bacon. You is smell, that a compliment? You smell like Einstein Schmear. Just don't call her Crispy. Yeah. Probably wouldn't go over too well. Wow, they don't like that. Yeah. Um, what is going on with our world? Where Where did you – what do you use to get rid of your split ends? I just go to Einstein and
1: grab some of the shampoo there.
2: <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about this woman? You better listen to this, Jeff. Okay. A woman arrested after allegedly attacking her husband for forgetting their anniversary. Ooh. Yeah. Married couples everywhere now will be marking their calendars after the Florida woman was arrested for reportedly attacking her husband for forgetting her wedding anniversary. Uh, Carol Stone was arrested um, in uh, by the Pasco Sheriff's Office for allegedly smacking the victim multiple times on his head and face. Wow. Because he admitted to forgetting that that very, very special day.
4: So have you ever... Have you ever uh, spoken about this topic with anybody that's come into your office? Has this ever come I've up? I've
2: never seen domestic violence because of forgetting Well, well not violence.
4: Have people forgotten oh, yeah. the anniversary? Yeah. Do you really feel like it's that big of a deal? Apparently, yeah. Wow. I mean,
2: it's like forgetting your birthday, which we we, we didn't forget because we got you Because balloons. HR reminded you. <laughs> I love HR because they made me help. They didn't make me. They helped me remember... Today was the day we celebrate your birth. When's your anniversary, by the way?
4: October 18th. Don't forget it. I never will.
2: Uh, My anniversary is February 15th. I never forget it because it's Valentine's Day. Oh,
4: the Ides of February. Yeah. That was Mm -hmm. a different Ides. Yeah. Actually, I don't think it technically would be the Ides because there's only 28 days in February. Mm. Even on a leap year, it wouldn't really be the Ides. It'd be approximately the Ides of February. You're
2: kind of overthinking.
4: Sorry. Uh, Anyway, Carol
2: was arrested uh, for smacking her husband. You know, it it happens. People forget a day, but now she's charged with a misdemeanor. Maybe what we ought to start doing again is communicating. Hello? Anyway, uh, crazy, crazy stuff. Up next, we're going to be talking about why loneliness can be damaging to your body. And we're talking with the the expert, the, the True Blue researcher Dr. Julianne Holt-Lunstad from BYU. Whether it be as a child, a senior citizen, or even a middle-aged adult, everyone feels lonely at some point or another. For some of us, it uh, may only be a temporary blip before we make new friends. But for other people, it may be as serious as social isolation and, and just disconnection from the world. Whatever its form, loneliness is a ver- is very unhealthy, and both for us mentally and physically. And today, we're honored to have Julianne Holt-Lunstead. She is a professor here at uh, brigham Young university and is is actually now getting worldwide acclaim for her research on the dangers of loneliness and uh, julianne we 're so honored to have you thank you
0: oh, thank you for having me
2: This is such a big deal that uh, the the u k has actually appointed a, a new minister uh, prime or a new minister to head up loneliness to be over loneliness
0: yeah yeah, and so i this came as a result of the mounting evidence. Uh, around not only the significant impact that it can have on our risk for premature mortality, uh, as well as, as you mentioned, uh, physical health, mental health, our our overall well-being, uh, but there's also this increasing prevalence. And not only in the UK, but we see similar trends here in the U.S. as well.
2: Talk to us about um, the, the actual impact. What so loneliness, what does it do to us uh, physiologically? How does it actually impact our health?
0: Sure. Um well, I can uh start by by in essence giving you a little bit of background in terms of how this might influence and then I'll I'll yeah. let you know what we know in terms of evidence. Uh so in essence it, it's we're Often considered social creatures, yeah, right? Right, and and being socially connected is widely thought of as a fundamental human need, and uh, so of course uh, neuroscience evidence uh, uh, to some degree supports this, in that uh, we are um, biologically wired, so to speak, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, to be connected, and that, for instance, um, you know as Social species; it's adaptive to uh, be around others. Right? There's safety in numbers. Yeah, right. And uh, when we are faced with a threat, um, when we are alone, it um, requires more metabolic resources in our brain uh, uh, to face and and that challenge, that challenge relative, yeah, relative to when you're with others and particularly trusted others. Um, oh, interesting! There's it's also, not enough to
2: be with others. You have to be with people you trust to exact, fully magnify the benefit.
0: Exactly. There's also evidence that um, that the neural mechanisms that uh, um, are associated with physical pain uh, share similar neural mechanisms with social pain. Um, interesting. And so, of course, uh, our, our our brain helps coordinate the kinds of uh, processes in our bodies that help us deal with threat that we can potentially put our bodies in a state of chronic threat vigilance uh, which can put a load on on our bodies that can uh, have wear and tear over time uh, that can lead to increased risk hmm. So as far as the actual evidence of the degree of this risk, uh, so my colleagues and I, we examined all of the data linking the extent to which people are socially connected and uh, their risk for premature mortality. And we looked at data all over the world. So this is not just from BYU yeah, or right. even the U.S., um, and what we found is that those who are more socially connected um, were associated with significantly reduced risk for premature mortality. But the you know, we know that most people don't recognize this, right? Yeah, and right. so one of the things that we wanted to do was to benchmark this relative to other kinds of things that we take very seriously for our health. Because we're constantly hearing on the news the latest thing that's yeah. you know, good or bad for us. And We need to know just how seriously to take this. And so in benchmarking this, what we found was that, uh, in essence, uh, lacking social connections was uh, equivalent to the risk of smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. Uh, But it also exceeded many of the other factors that we take seriously, including things like obesity, um, physical inactivity. Uh, as well as uh, air pollution.
2: So it's just as harmful as obesity. It's air actually pollution. more, it carries loneliness. a greater
0: risk now, than you, than, obe- than okay. obesity.
2: Because you keep calling it social connectivity. Is it, so I have to be socially connected, I guess, and engaged because we're using terms of connectivity and loneliness. Right. And so what's the difference?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, as you can imagine, we We connect to others socially in a variety of ways. So, of course, the research has also uh, studied this in a variety of ways. Uh, And so this can include uh, things such as uh, more what would be referred to as like structural ways. Um, So our size of our social network, um, whether we're married or not, whether we live alone or not. But there's also the functions that our relationships serve. Uh, So whether that's actual support or um, the perceived availability of a support or even perceived loneliness. Uh, But then there's also the quality of our relationships. Right. Um, And to the extent to which we are satisfied or there's conflict or strain in our our relationship. And importantly, all of these have been significantly linked to relationships. to either protection on the positive side right. or, or risk on the negative side. And so loneliness is um, one indicator of a lack of social connection. And in fact, if we go back to that idea of uh, social connection as a, a biological need, uh, uh, there have been others that have argued that in essence, loneliness is like a biological motive. Much like hunger or thirst, huh. uh, and that it bio- and that it motivates us to reconnect, uh, and so we can think of social connection as the goal and loneliness as the symptom interesting, and yeah. that motive to to reconnect
2: the indicator, and it's um I, I guess the interesting thing we're finding out too is because um, you, you could have a lot of people around you and be lonely.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. Or
2: you could, but there's just, you're saying there's just inherent benefits um, to having other people around you, even if you're not as profoundly connected, simply because I guess they'll watch your health, they'll pay more attention if something's going on, they'll get you to a doctor.
0: Right, absolutely. And so I, I appreciate you bringing this up because a lot of people use the term social isolation and loneliness interchangeably. Yeah. And so just to be clear, Isolation refers to – is thought of as being objective uh, in the sense that it refers to the n- either numbers of relationships or frequency of contact with others, whereas loneliness is this subjective perception yeah. uh, that uh, is uh, often described as either the perception of feeling alone or… Or that discrepancy between one's desired level of connection and one's actual level of connection. So indeed, you can be uh, still around others yeah. and still feel lonely. And conversely, you can um, be, be alone yeah. uh, and and you know maybe take comfort in or, or enjoy your solitude. Right. Um, but interestingly, uh, I did another one of these analyses where we looked at uh, data from over three point four million. Uh, People. Wow. Great. Um, Data and we set. we directly looked at loneliness, isolation, and living alone, and importantly, they all significantly predicted risk for premature mortality. Interesting. And and equivalently so. Uh, and and so uh, we need to recognize that although these are very different, they all are important. And so. Uh, in essence, the way we might address it might be very different also. And the yeah. way in which they might influence risk uh, may differ as well. So, for instance, that perception of loneliness may be associated more with uh, physiological responses uh, associated with kind of this heightened threat or, s- or state of stress or um, within the body Whereas living alone uh, may be related to not having someone around to uh, remind you to take your medications right. or to get sleep yeah. or to go see a doctor when you need it, or um, for instance in older adults, uh, falls are a significant oh, yeah. risk. So having someone to help grab that on you know on a high shelf, yeah, <laughs> uh, can can help reduce those kinds of risks. So so they all can. Uh, influence our our health, uh, but perhaps maybe in different ways.
2: You bet. We're again speaking with Dr. Julianne holt Lundstedt. She is a professor of psychology and neuroscience right here at Brigham Young University. Her research is focused on the long-term health effects of social connection. She also has received the George A. Miller Award from the American Psychological Association uh, and also the Mary Lou Felton Young Award uh, Scholar Award. She's um, also, uh, by the way, now working with that Minister of Loneliness in the UK on on her team.
0: Uh, I'm I'm a member of the technical working group now. Yes, I
2: mean, how amazing is that? Do you sense, by the way, are we getting are we getting more and more people that are uh, socially isolated and lonely? Is is it is it increasing, or are we are we now that we have this knowledge, are we getting better at taking care of it?
0: Right. Um, so first of all, it's 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 somewhat difficult to get precise estimates, just because this isn't something that is routinely collected. Yeah. And that's one of the efforts that the UK is going to be doing through their National Office of Statistics, is getting um, better uh, indicators population wide, uh, and so for. The U.S., uh, we have some evidence, although um, as far as perceptions of loneliness, uh, it depends on how the question's asked. So some uh, w- will give a, a, a f- uh, prevalence rate where it's based on, do you feel lonely most of the time? Mm. Or someone else will ask, how frequently do you? Yeah. And so they're asked a little different. However, there is other data that really does suggest that this is uh, something that is a growing issue. Okay. So if we look at uh, census data, which is relatively objective, right? Uh, it, it indicates that we now have more people living alone than ever, um, at least in terms of census data, yeah. in terms of the data they've been collecting. Um, we have fewer people getting married, fewer people having children. Um, and the uh, household sizes are shrinking. Now, of course... We need to recognize these are relatively crude measures because just because you're not married or living alone doesn't mean you right. don't have a uh, a social network. But keep in mind that despite these being crude indicators, they're also very robust predictors of risk. Interesting, yeah. Because they are – they provide a safety net for us. right? Uh, and uh, and of course, again, just because you are married um, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't um, experience distress. So that safety net may be frayed. Yeah, right. um, but these are uh, important indicators. Uh, but there's also other indicators uh, that come from nationally representative samples. So for instance, the Pew Research Center uh, has some data that suggests that uh, since the mid 1980s social network sizes have decreased Mm. we also have evidence that people are less likely to um, participate in religion participate in other kinds of social groups um, and that the majority of americans no longer participate in social groups
8: which is
2: meanwhile our social media is on the rise and we're getting more and more friends yet we are so less social Isn't that interesting?
0: Yes. And so that is probably, I'd say, the biggest challenge right now is to really recognize and understand the full implications of that. Because keep in mind the data that I mentioned earlier on mortality, this data – assessed the extent to which people were socially connected and then followed them over years most often decades Wow so most of this data was collected prior to when this was uh, widely used and if we think about um, some have indicated that you know 2012 was the point in time when uh, the majority of Americans had smartphones right. That's only within the last you now six yeah. years. We have no idea the long-term health implications of this because uh, it has dramatically changed the way in which we are interacting socially. Uh, and there is some evidence to suggest that it is not uh, making us more socially connected right. and, if anything, um, may be associated with some some detrimental effects.
2: What advice do you give us um – who who should we be paying attention to seems like the elderly um but what advice do you give us as parents as families as as people in the community that want to make a difference so that we don't have people suffering that don't i guess choose to be suffering
0: yeah so certainly older adults have received a a large um amount of attention on this issue, at, at, because this does affect a, a significant portion of older adults. However, it's important to recognize that this can affect anyone, anyone. at any age. And indeed, um, my evidence suggests that there's actually a stronger effect among those under 65 relative to those who are over 65. Really? There's also some evidence to suggest that among young adults and adolescents, that this um, is uh, there. There's been evidence of Large spikes in this um, in yeah. recent times, uh, and so this is something we need to pay attention to. But one thing I uh, also argue is that uh, we can all benefit from social connection. Absolutely. And so, uh, while of course we want to help those that are um, sub, you know profoundly lonely. Uh, that we can all benefit from this and that if we have this uh, um, growth model rather than pointing to those who um, might have a problem and need to be right, fixed, right. Um, that that we can all uh, um, benefit from social connection. I love connection.
2: that idea. And you can – I mean just going to visit – so it actually – like visiting anybody really benefits everybody connecting, being paying attention, listening to others. Uh, It really is for everyone's good.
0: Right. And if you think about it, our evidence suggests that this is just as, if not more important as things like uh, nutrition and physical activity. And so every one of us, you know, if we take the analogy of physical activity, right, um, we know we need to be physically active. Maybe we're not Always as yeah. active as we should be, but it's something that we recognize. And we may uh, need to make time in our busy schedules to be uh, physically active. Well, we also need to make time in our busy schedules to be socially active. And just as we have little devices that, um, you know, let us know when we've been sitting too long and that we need to yeah. get up and move, yeah. um, you know, maybe we can find ways to nudge ourselves, you know, to remind us when it's been too long since we've called our mom or, yeah. oh, sure. um, or have gotten together with friends, uh, that we all need to uh, take this seriously for our own health and, uh, and reach out to others and foster those, those close relationships.
2: I, I, it really is. And I'm sure you feel like, you know, divinely led to this in a way because it's – this is like – this is essential. You found an essential fact. This is one of the essential facts of life, and yet it's no. Notice we don't think of it like we do our our nutrition or our exercise. We make such a big deal about those, but we don't make as big of a deal. It doesn't seem like around social connectivity.
0: Yeah, and you know, uh, like you said, with nutrition, you know, just as we know that it's. We need to take into account both how much we eat, yeah. but the quality, quality of the food, uh, and similarly with our relationships. We need to look, take into account, you know, not only how many relationships we yeah. have, um, but the quality of those relationships. And I think that really comes back to uh, that uh, those concerns about social media, because uh, while someone might have uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of followers, um, to what extent are those deep, meaningful relationships people that you can count on in the time of need?
1: True.
2: Well, we appreciate you, Dr. Julianne holt Lundsted. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you for your insight. Unbelievable lesson, I think, for all of us. In fact, right now, everybody be thinking, who who do you know we need to connect with? Who do we—and by the way, and how is it benefiting you to be connected in a a deeper, more profound way and more often— Dr. Julianne holt Lundstead again, is a professor of psychology and neuroscience right here at Brigham Young University, really tearing up the world with uh, her battle on loneliness. We'll continue the journey, folks. A little Coach's Corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
3: I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me
6: a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
2: Play ball. Welcome back, friends. You know, loneliness, it'll kill you. Did you know that uh, it, it is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day if you feel loneliness? And, uh, and, and, and this disconnection from society, it's, it really now needs to be taken just as seriously as obesity, as your nutrition, as your, your health regimen. And so just do a little evaluation on yourself. I, I actually am a little worried because I love being alone. And I could see that I could create a habit in my life of, you know, pushing people away to the point that if my spouse passed away or I my kids moved away, I'd be OK being lonely for a while or, you know, being alone for a while, socially isolated for a while. But but then you might actually start missing it and then automatically start uh suffering the the costs of of that one of the reasons why it's good to just have people around is simply because You're more likely to get the health care you need. You're more likely to go get uh, the services you need because someone's there to notice that you're struggling with your eyesight or your hearing or other things. I mean, we need to start watching out for it. So do a little assessment on yourself, on the people around you. Do we sense some people are lonely? And, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about extroversion or introversion. And honestly, it, it still doesn't matter. Even if you enjoy being alone, which I do, as a, as more of a, a you know an ambivert, a, an extrovert and an and an introvert, we still need to have people around us, and we still totally need to be making sure that we um, that we are connecting with others. And if we feel lonely and, and are getting depressed, it's important to to say something. We hear a lot about the Meals on Wheels program. Where, you know, communities are doing whatever they can to make sure that uh, those that are um, socially isolated or alone, seniors, are able to get the meals that they need. But if if you are involved in those programs, you hear a lot that it's not the meal that matters half as much as the visit from the person that's bringing the meal. And that, again, validates the research. People matter. They totally matter and your relationships matter. So please do what you can now when you're younger. Do what you can now when you're a little healthier to not only work on your own relationships so you can have the benefits of those going into the future, but also let's make sure that we're, we're looking out for others in need, for seniors, for others that are, are, are possibly more likely to be uh, uh, you know, uh, alone. Also remember that um, if you are single— if you uh, and even if you enjoy it if you're divorced and um and that's kind of what you've wanted in life be careful to also make sure you're growing more than just your social media likes and your you know your friends on social media because social media in the end is not the same power as having a strong social network it's uh it now is a health issue which i think is it's awesome it really is It's not just great for my business. It's great, I think, for all of us to to start to recognize the importance of balancing the social side. We know that we had to grow physically and emotionally. We knew we had to get our mental health down. But uh, now we also need to grow socially and make sure we're good at it. Make sure we're knowing how to, to be the best person we can be and start giving back to those around us. It's good for your health. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about why our teens more entrepreneurial than their parents. We'll be revisiting an interview with Whitney Johnson straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, today we've been revisiting an interview with Whitney Johnson, who is an investor, speaker, and published author. She's the founder and managing director of Springboard Fund and the co-founder of the Rose Park Advisors, along with uh, Harvard professor Clayton Christensen. And uh, Whitney talks t- uh, about why teens and young people are more entrepreneurial than their parents. I uh, I interviewed her a while ago, and, and I as uh, as I was talking to her, I, I talked to her about how the fact that the internet internet is out and about it's actually empowering our kids to make more money for themselves
7: I think you you make an interesting point around technology I think technology has really allowed people the democratization of dreams I and mean, there there are dreams that were Inaccessible to perhaps you or me as seventeen year olds that are now very accessible to our teenagers again because of technology, and if they 're willing to you know put in the elbow grease, they can actually make their dreams happen, which is really oh. exciting and very empowering for them
2: that, that really is is do you see a downside to any of this, Whitney when you think about them not being able to uh... Flip burgers at a fast food joint. I mean, you went through that. Is, I mean, because yeah. like I could see my son. In fact, he, we, he graduated and he's just basically gone into his little studio in our basement and we don't see him for days. And I'm like, you might need to go. You might want to go talk to some people, but he's yeah. not out getting to know people and having to face people.
7: Well, I think, you know, it's it's an interesting point that you raise. I mean, I think there's it's always a both and. I mean, it's never an either or. And so I think there is something to be said for being out in the world. Um, at the same time, I would say, you know, if you've looked at any of the research of, of Susan Cain, the book Quiet about introverts, yeah, love people that book. are more, yeah, it's a fantastic book. And it turns out my daughter, the one that I mentioned, is an sort of introvert hmm. off the scales. And so this gives her an opportunity to incubate a business and build that up. And then it requires some courage to go out and and interact with people. But it also is a validation of that there are different ways to approach the world. There are ways to approach the world as an extrovert, which I think was more required in our generation. But now there's an opportunity for people to approach the world as an introvert and really validating both approaches. That being said, to your comment about hard work, you know, I I remember – when i was working on wall street we had an application of a fellow come through he was a math major which was you know impressive but what really caught our attention was that he had worked as a cowhand in college on his on his grandfather's ranch and we said this kid knows how to work and goldman sachs eventually ended up hiring him huh. i also think um, the other day we were at a at a program or a, over at the high school we live in um, boston so the harvard admissions director was at the high school talking to kids about what what helps you get in and they said you know what we look at if kids have worked, how hard they've worked, what they've done to earn money. So I think to your point, mm. there can be a downside of sequestering yourself, but if you're building something that's going to be really big, you eventually have to go out and interface with the public. Yeah. I think just this way, this new wave allows people to start with where they are, start as an extrovert, extrovert and learn to be an introvert, or start as an introvert and learn to be an extrovert. Um, the secret ingredient is always hard work, but I think that... This just allows for people to to start where they are with their native talents and then develop the strengths that they need in order to be successful.
2: I love your your phrase democratization of dreams because it, <laughs> it was that is it really is brilliant because the introvert c- can do so much in their own mind in their own head and like then they have to go to school <laughs> and then they uh-huh. have to jump in the hoop this way and so the freedom that that brings and then you make such a great point that eventually somebody's going to need to maybe my son's still going to have to interact with the other community and the and the world and and learn to get out of it as well
7: but it gets to more on his own terms yeah yeah which i think is really important
2: and, and frees his talents so his talents exactly. don't have to be filtered through a, a certain way that that actually would minimize his talent
7: exactly Exactly. So I think it's actually very, very positive. And I, I think overall, the fact that our children are more entrepreneurial bodes very, very well for the future because we talk about, oh, millennials are entitled. And I think, you know, everybody's entitled. Millennials are entitled in their own way. You and I are entitled sure. in our own way. But what I do know is that as we see this pace of disruption quickening, which in fact it is, um, our kids who are becoming more innovative is actually it bodes well because they're going to be able to really manage these S curve waves of disruption that I talk about and and I think that that makes me very optimistic. Oh yeah. Sure.
2: I mean and and it's such a subtle thing, isn't it? It's you might not even notice it's happening until 20 years into this when a lot of the jobs are coming from just creative kids in their basement actually running an entire organization from their MacBook.
7: Right. And, and if I can go back to your video game comment for just a minute, yeah. because I think that's important. Um, I think it's easy to say, Oh, video games, yeah. and you know, there could be too much of video games, but the fact is, is if you think about video games, when you're playing these massively multiplayer role playing games, like league of legends, you're learning about strategy. You're learning how to, um, how to, uh, collaborate with people you've never seen or even met. Those are, skills Oh, you bet. That People are going to need. And so I think I think, you know, moderation in all things, but I think that even video games that we tend to poo-poo actually are going to be – are developing skills that are going to be very, very valuable.
2: It's a different world, isn't it? It's yeah. It's not yeah. – you're not just going away to college anymore and no. hopefully downloading everything. No. You, you're, you're going to be able to bring a lot of it with you. Yeah, you, absolutely. you probably weren't able to listen to our first hour. We had – um, we, we looked all over BYU campus for a scholar, and they exist, somebody that could help us understand the Middle East conflict between this, the Sunnis and the Shias. And yeah. we called every professor. All these professors were looking. In the end, they ended up referring to us a man, a young man who's an undergrad student who just pretty much, you know, as an undergrad student, a little on his own but with a little help from professors, has become one, uh, just a fantastic expert. But he came in here, and he's this young, unassuming guy that knew so much about Middle East conflict. And he's, I'm like, you don't even have a master's yet? And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go get that next. And I'm thinking, Love it. what the heck? What
7: a perfect capstone. Exactly. <laughs> this this conversation that we're having. And, out of that's nowhere. Fantastic. And, yeah. and and
2: the professors referred him. He's the guy that knows the yeah. difference. So I think you're on to something. And, Whitney, is this in the book uh, that that's coming out in October? Is it all about Disrupt Yourself? Is,
7: is, yeah. this is a- it talks about personal disruption of being able to um, you know, ride the S-curve ways of disruption, the seven variables that you need to think about in order to move up those curves more quickly and then jump, jump more adeptly to new curves. Uh-huh. And I think, again, what's happening with our kids is training them to be able to scale and jump to new curves um, very, very quickly is positive.
2: Welcome back, friends. Again, that was uh, Whitney Johnson talking about why teens are more entrepreneurial than their parents. I'm telling you, these kids, these young bucks, they've got quite the advantage. And uh, speaking of young bucks with quite an advantage, Jeffrey, you're one of
4: those kids. I have – is this a lead into screen cleaning? It's a lead into the fact that you just turned 35.
1: Oh, right.
4: We've got balloons to prove it. Yeah. And
2: uh, you have your physical next week. So (laughs) we know that you're aging appropriately. (laughs) Uh, but what? By the way, happy birthday. Thank you. We're proud.
4: We we're proud of you. Well, I I didn't do a whole lot no, for it, but you know. Well, you, I you kept I stayed alive. Stayed alive. That's which, important, especially because you had a trip with your brothers this year. I don't know why, but as I was getting ready this morning, the thought that I had was, "Oh, I can't believe I'm 35." For some reason, the thought that went through my mind was, "Well, now I know I've I will live at least until I'm 35." Yeah. <laughs> You nailed it. (laughs) Let's go for 36. Not that I feel like uh, there's – not that there's impending doom looming around the corner, but, you know. No. You're fine. Yeah. You're fine.
2: Hey, screen cleanings coming up. Uh, you're taking over the the next hour of the show. What are you going to be talking about?
4: I have been causing quite a stir here at BYU Broadcasting yeah. and quite some controversy because during the next two shows on screen cleaning, so this week and next week, we are going to be doing our own version of March Madness, but with sports movies so cool. we have eight different categories 32 movies and we could only limit each category to four movies so there are a lot of very prominent baseball movies yeah. that didn't make this right? cut but that just ha- i mean that happens and no, people any are mad. Year, right no, no. there are certain teams that yeah. don't make a bracket some years right did you post the bracket where people can find it yeah uh, put it on I'm, your
2: facebook page or your instagram i did instagram.
4: facebook and i emailed emailed Excellent. it out to all
2: of BYUB And we could even email it out right here on the Matt Townsend Show. So uh, catch Screen Cleaning. It's just a few seconds away, but that's it for me. But I'll uh, be talking to you next Monday. Make it a great one. Let's take care of each other.
4: Wow, what a great way to start this show. And I want to note that Sean O'Neill was the only person that stood up and put his hand over his heart. A couple of of the other people in the room put their hand over their heart. Not Cole Wissinger. Um, I will mention that. But We're throwing
8: a, people under the bus early today what? screen cleaning. a
4: fitting way. Well, it's probably going to happen a lot during There's this gonna show. There's going to be a few yeah. buses coming around for yeah. you today, Cole. What a great way to start this show because this is our March Madness sports movie edition of screen cleaning and it's been causing quite a stir around the office here at BYUB. Some people have been very offended to the point where they refused to participate. I don't Other know. people have, have participated, but uh, reluctantly because their favorites were not included on this bracket. If you're
8: not ruffling feathers, you're not making a bracket correct.
4: That's true. And I want to remind people that there <laughs> are years when your favorite team does not either is not on the bracket at all or does not make it to the end. It's life, right? It happens. But well, luckily, this time, around we only get to blame one person who uh <laughs> two people two people jeff was a part of this <laughs> yes okay who made up the bracket so cole made up the bracket but there you go the both of us decided which movies were going to be in on the bracket okay so we'll get in uh, more into the bracket here in just a minute but before we do that we know that there are a couple of movies that are coming out this weekend uh one of which i was planning on seeing today on my birthday, but it's not going to happen because it's such a limited release that it's not even here in the state of Utah. Yeah,
6: I'd, I've never understood this policy that that studios have to release something big in. Yeah, they release it. They release it in in the big markets, uh, L.A. and New York, maybe Chicago. Yeah. But they don't release it anywhere else in the country for another couple weeks.
4: And usually you'll see that around awards season when oh, they yeah. they just yeah. want to sneak it in under the deadline so that it can mm-hmm. be eligible for the Academy Award. But it's it's March. Come on. I know. Come on, Wes Anderson, and I assume it's I don't Fox know if, Searchlights. Or... I don't know if Wes Anderson has control over distribution. He though. probably doesn't. We're talking about the film Isle of Dogs, but yes. we don't need to talk about it because it's not even out in theaters, so you can't even see it. So Sean O'Neill <laughs> is going to give us a movie review. Well,
6: it is in some places, just not.
4: Right, L.A., San Francisco, maybe New York. Uh, Sean O'Neill is going to give us a a movie review for a movie that you can see in the theaters this weekend, and it is well, Pacific Rim Uprising. Ah, I'm sure you saw the original. I did Guillermo
6: del Toro Mm -hmm. film Pacific Rising Mm -hmm. or Pacific Rim, excuse me, Uh, and and that was in 2013. Well, this time around, do you remember Stacker Pentecost? I, uh,
4: Idris Elba. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. The Idris yeah. Elba character. I know Idris Elba. We're yeah. canceling the apocalypse!
6: Is that what he says? Yeah. Oh, that's right. A speech at the end of the movie. Come on. Okay, okay. Well, John Boyega is playing his son, Jake. And uh, Jake used to be in the military because he was following his dad, thought he was, you know, being, and then, of course, the war was won over the kaiju. And, of course, you know, what do we do now? Well... Then the Jaegers are all taken apart and there's parts all over the place because they're not needed anymore because there's no monsters coming around. And so there's a black market trade happening in Jaeger Kai- in, uh, parts because people are making their own thinking, well, the kaiju could still
4: come back. And uh, do well, we need to be brushed up on these terms before we well, see the movie? Jaeger
8: okay, is the giant robot. Exactly. Kaiju is the giant monster. Okay, there you go. Thank you. It's, thank it's pretty
6: you. simple. Uh, <laughs> so... People had high hopes for this sequel. I was one of them. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite hit the mark of the original, but it is close. Okay. Okay? Hmm. If you're looking for robots and fighting monsters, uh, you're good.
4: Now, what if we're not looking for those things?
6: Well, the scenes in between are not exactly the greatest in some places, but I got to tell (laughs) you— Eastwood's son is uh, Scott Eastwood, I think, is yeah, his? yeah. Yeah. I swear he looked like his dad in this movie. He
4: looks exactly like
6: he, him. It's crazy. He, and and he was he was even doing the, the squinty I think. I thought he was gonna say, Do you feel lucky, punk? But he didn't. <laughs> uh, it was close though. It was very, very close. Um John Boyoga did have some uh, some funny moments like he does in Star Wars. You know, okay. he has the comedic relief kind yeah. of in Star Wars, and that happens here. Uh there's a big twist in this film though that was a surprise to me. But it felt wrong in some ways. It was almost like the the hmm. heart was ripped out of the first movie to Whoa. me a little bit. But I, 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 I'm not going to spoil it. Wow. Okay. But I, I I wasn't really keen on the twist, but eh. And there are some new characters that come up too. You got the cadets uh, that are uh, going to be helping out in this war. Uh, the first one you find you you see is her name is Amara. She's played by Kaylee Spaney. She's a kind of a genius who builds her own Jaeger, and then. Uh, She wants to do that in case the kaiju come back, of course. A lot of fighting in the film. Some of it you got between people shooting each other and they're fighting while being chased by crime figures. And there's expected robots fighting monsters and other robots as well. So there is all of that. There is some partying, a little bit of bad language used in the film, and a certain intensity as uh, the world is in danger of being destroyed. And some characters are going to pass away in this story, too. Oh, no. Yep. Wow. But no Idris Elba? No Idris Elba, which is mm. which is sad because and no Charlie Hunnan either. Oh. He, those were the two original, <laughs> uh, you know, big guys in yeah. the movie in the first movie, and I thought they mm. brought a really good dramatic flair. Uh, the first movie also had this this kind of intensity to it that this one doesn't always have.
4: Okay, so so it's not quite as good as the first movie, and there's going to be a moment in the film when our hearts are going to be ripped out of our chests. Uh, well. Not literally, hopefully. I didn't realize I had felt that way about it until a little further after the twist happened. But yeah, I was okay. thinking, "Well, wait a minute, why did you do that?" So, well, I feel like my heart has been ripped out because <laughs> I cannot go see Isle of Dogs. The movie so, I wanted hey, to see—it's see. still
6: coming out. Don't worry, you just <sighs> have to wait a little longer. Anyway, I'm giving a B grade to uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. That's
4: not bad. B- it is great.
6: P- it is PG thirteen, obviously.
4: Okay, but yeah. So keep that in mind. All right. Sean O'Neill, thank you so much for that review. Can I just mention one other movie yes. that I think is the better movie of yes. the week? Midnight Sun.
5: Midnight which is surprising
6: Sun. to me. I was very surprised by this movie. Bella Thorne and Patrick Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry. I see those, those two names for a movie, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's not going to be very good. They did an amazing performance. And I'm guessing you were
4: you're, you're thinking maybe it wouldn't be a good movie because it's a premise that's kind of been done and well, kind it, of a yeah. lot lately, right? Well,
6: just a few months ago you had a movie everything everything yeah. same premise, sick girl in the house, cute boy outside that she wants to, you know, get together with. And uh, but they're they're actually based on two different. Oh, one's really! Based, everything everything is actually based on a book, and Midnight Sun is based on a Japanese movie. And
4: then you've got the John Travolta TV movie, The Boy in
6: the Bubble. Yeah, also yes. similar. <laughs> but uh, seriously, this is a sweet story and entertaining. I would actually go to this with your wife, and I think you will both enjoy it.
4: Really? Yep. <sighs> so we've got. Scott, or we've got Clint Eastwood's son, and we've got, I assume, Arnold Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger's son. Yes, wow, I, I can see Hollywood them making Royalty. a western together <laughs> coming up here. <laughs> I would see that, especially yep. if Clint was in yep. it. So, here's what we're going to do: we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to dive right into this bracket, and we gonna, we're going to we're going to stir a lot of feathers or ruffle a lot of feathers, and uh, probably within this very room, I'm sure. Yes. When we return, this is screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. And this is the moment you've been waiting for, folks, especially if you filled out one of our sports movies on Screen Cleaning Brackets. We're going to go through these 16 films, and we've got a short synopsis of each one. I'm sure you've heard of most of, of these, if not all of them. There was actually one film in this bracket that I had never heard of before, and I'm sure Cole's going to want to educate us on that film. I've heard of that them film. all, but I haven't seen them all. Okay. And i
6: got to say, before we even start, my bracket's busted. So.
4: Ooh, okay. This
6: in
8: typical make... March Madness fashion.
4: Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, we're going to start off with... You know what? Here's what we're going to do. We'll start off with our basketball bracket since it is March Madness. In keeping with the theme of basketball during March Madness, we'll start with our basketball bracket. And the first film that appears in our basketball bracket.
1: Ain't no rules that the dog can't play basketball.
7: Hey, Patton, pass the ball. What are you, the black hole of basketball? Come on. I love
2: basketball. I'm a dolphin. I just love it. You know, sometimes the uh, world doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me,
5: except on the basketball court. And that's good enough for me. All fan-loving basketball, baby. That's
8: just a little taste of some of our honorable mentions from the basketball region. Thank you
4: you for putting the Eddie clip in there. I do enjoy the film Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg, but that's Mm -hmm. not in the bracket. Mm -hmm. The first film on our basketball bracket is surprise surprise Hoosiers now Hoosiers is the one seed yes for those sports
8: again this is a sports themed about sports
4: movies kind of exactly so Hoosiers is about a coach with a checkered past and a local drunk uh who train a small town high school basketball team to become a top contender for the championship and these synopses today brought to you by IMDb, by the way. So, um, the the film that this is going up against is the film, the one film I'd never heard of before this show. And uh, it is the film The Fish That Saved Basketball. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Oh. <laughs> the Fish That Saved Basketball. Pittsburgh. See, that's how unfamiliar I am with this movie. The quick synopsis on this one, the Pittsburgh basketball team is hopeless. Maybe with the help of an astrologer and some astrologically compatible players, they can become winners.
8: Yeah, that sums it up. No, it is a fantastic movie.
6: Your, your
4: cricket sound effect? Yeah. Jeff yeah. inserts
8: it when he doesn't need to sometimes. So uh, –
4: I want it for the record. I had never seen this film, and Cole said, I've "You don't have to watch it. this. I don't care if it moves on in the bracket. I just want an opportunity to talk about it." So Cole, talk take your it. quick opportunity to talk about it before it is quickly uh, bumped out of this bracket.
8: Well, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to vote for it okay. because the fish that saves Pittsburgh is a perfect encapsulation of 1979 in the Rust Belt of Pittsburgh. It took place. Um, In the the igloo, the old arena where the penguins used to play that was built out of Pittsburgh Steel. Um, It was all (laughs) shot there, um, and it's Dr. J uh, and his team filled with Pisces, uh, Mm -hmm. led by their astrologer Stockard Channing um, from West Wing fame. Uh, This kid gets the idea that because the Pittsburgh basketball team is so bad, he's going to go to any means necessary to try to fix them. Um, He draws up his own little astrological charts, goes and visits Stockard Channing, and they have open tryouts. And this wide array of folks come out and they take all the ones that are Pisces and then they go and they win the big basketball thing. And it's a great
6: movie. Fantastic. Now I don't need to watch it. Okay, Argument there. I
4: saw the trailer for this thing. Oh, my gosh. So great is probably not the best word okay, to describe great. it.
6: No, it's car wash on a basketball court. Did you ever see the movie Car Wash?
4: No. Did oh, you ever see, like, Cookout or Soul no. Plane or any of those? Yeah. I'm 1979 sure they're very similar. funk. Yeah. Greatness. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, unfortunately... Uh, if you're going up against Hoosiers... You got to bring a lot better game than the fish that saved Pittsburgh. I'm just going to make an executive decision because I think I have a feel for the room. Uh, unfortunately, if you're not a Pisces, you're uh, if if you are a <laughs> Pisces, you are not moving on to the next round of this bracket. Mm-hmm. It's going to go to Hoosiers, the Amen. film that got an Academy Award nominee. For one of the cast members, I'm not going to say which one because that may be a trivia question later on. Oh, okay. But uh, the Gene Hackman starring film is a, is a film that comes up a lot of times in people's minds when you think of great basketball films. Yep. Hoosiers, you're moving on to the next bracket. Yeah! Yeah! Well done, Hoosiers. Okay. Okay. What would you want to say? What
6: was the flavor of gum that he tasted like? What oh, was the flavor was of gum blackjack? that he had? Was it blackjack? No. Dentine. Dentine. Okay. I Interesting. Love, that's my favorite part of the movie. The coach, <laughs> the coach tells this guy to go defend a guy, and he says, I want to know what flavor of gum he's chewing. Wow. <laughs> and he actually comes back to the bench and asks him.
4: <laughs> wow. Dentine, Dentine gum. Okay. Yep. So the next two basketball films in this bracket are Coach Carter. You may have heard of it. I had never seen it before this show, but I have now. And... We this is kind of our our wild horse uh, what on earth is this film doing in this bracket film? And it is the I'm gonna say this is not a
6: basketball film, even though basketball is in the movie.
4: There's basketball in it. It's really hard to describe what type of movie this is other than a an eighties teen comedy weird film. And it's the beloved by many film. Oh yes. Teen Wolf. Starring Michael J. Fox. I remember actually taking somebody on a date to this movie. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So just so that I could be well prepared for this, I actually stayed up late last night revisiting this film, Teen Wolf. And I kind of agree with you, Sean. I wouldn't say that it's a basketball film. I wouldn't even call it a great film. I know that might offend some people. I I love 80s movies. I wouldn't put this up in the higher category of 80s films for me. What about you, Cole? What do you think?
8: Teen Wolf is one that you convinced me to let into this list in exchange for me being allowed to bring the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Okay. The, the end scene is really cool that it takes place in a basketball. And he does it without thing. the help of his wolfness. Yes. There, mm-hmm. He learns a lesson along the way. It's yeah. a good movie, but I'm voting for the other
6: one
4: in this match. Sean, yeah. what's your vote going to? Uh, well, as much as
6: I enjoy Michael J. Fox. Um, I think I will have to go with the other film as well. But uh, as an, an honorable mention that should have been on this list
4: instead of Teen Wolf or even The Fish at, say, Pittsburgh, Glory Road. I did hear a hear complaint about Glory Road. Mm-hmm. In fact, the very first comment I got about this list was, Glory Road? Question mark. Yeah. Anyway, listen, there are other years. We may do this next year and other films may appear on the list. Not mm-hmm. your favorite teams aren't always going to be on the bracket. And that's okay. You know, I but think it's I think it's unanimous because I'm also going with Coach Carter. I yep. had never seen this before, and I watched it and I I really enjoyed it. How can you vote against Samuel L. Jackson? It was refreshing to see him in a role where he wasn't he wasn't just he wasn't yelling at people snakes. and killing people. <laughs> he was only yelling at people. Right. Yeah. So it was the yelling without the killing. Right. And I appreciated that. It was a nice change of pace. And it's based on a true story. I love seeing stories. Mm-hmm. Stories where teachers and educators are showing that they care enough about their students that they are going to ruffle some feathers in order to get their point across. I think it took the best parts of a lot of movies that I didn't care for and brought it all into one movie and made it into a great movie. Like it had elements of lean on me with Morgan Freeman, which I don't really care for. And I like that movie a lot. Well, there you know the the idea of a lockout. And he, this is the the mm-hmm. film where he locks uh, yeah, students and out he gets of in the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and in fact, we didn't do well synopses of these films, but I think we've done enough of a synopsis for each of these films that you get the picture. And besides, we don't need to because Coach Carter, you're moving on to the next round of this bracket. So that's going to do it for our basketball bracket. So moving on is Hoosiers and Coach Carter. If you're at home keeping score, so. I think it's only fitting now that we move on to the greatest sport, America's pastime, which is baseball.
5: Play ball. All right, boys, let's get back to basics. This is a baseball. You just throw whatever you got, whatever's left. The boys
9: are all here for you. We'll back you up. We'll be there because, Billy, we don't stink right now the best team in baseball right now right this minute because of you you're the reason
3: why'd you do it i love baseball go pick me out a winner bobby
9: mm-hmm.
4: okay okay Ah, oh, you brought to my attention how much i dislike the film for love of the game uh, really With kevin costner and john c Riley. yeah oh my goodness it was it That was that, it was that cheesy. I don't remember it being that cheesy.
8: Among our other honorable mentions with For the Love of the Game were 42.
4: Oh, true. Uh, I did have a couple of those comments. I have a poster of that in my office right now.
8: And the biggest snub, I think, was the natural.
4: Yes. Okay. Very much so. I, I want to make a comment about the natural. I had at least three comments about the natural being omitted from this list, one of which was. The Natural got left out. Count me out. Right. So we had somebody that was so upset he was not even willing to fill out the bracket for this amazingly fun game that we're doing right now. So I'm sorry, but uh, we we could only limit it to four. And there's one film that I would have replaced. Uh, I would have put The Natural in place of this film that we're going to talk about. But Cole... Got his way in this department, and we'll let him defend this film here in just a minute. But uh, the first two films that we're going to talk about, we'll give you the synopsis of each film. Field of Dreams is going up against the film that I would have seen off the list, but that Cole insisted that we put on here. Yes. A League of Their Own. Absolutely. So let me give you the synopses of these films real quick. Field of Dreams, an Iowa corn farmer hearing voices interprets them as a command to build a baseball diamond in his fields. Okay, Nominated for Best Picture, it's got Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, and a lot of other famous people. Uh, a league of their own. Two sisters join the first female professional baseball league and struggle to help it succeed amidst their own growing rivalry. And uh, I'm I am super curious to hear which of these films is moving on. I already know, obviously, which film is going on. The film that was nominated for Best Picture has one of the greatest lines in a movie ever, and I'm sure the same argument's going to be brought up for a league of their own. Uh huh. And, uh, um,. <laughs>
8: Other things A Field of Dreams has going for it. It's entirely confusing, has no cohesive um, elements, it is. uh, wow. isn't really I'm a sorry. baseball
6: movie. Wow. Oh, it's a baseball movie. <laughs>
4: I'll, I watch it every year on opening day. How is it not a baseball movie? And this movie is going to connect with another film that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, which involves the 1919 19. 19 Black Sox, a.k.a. Yes. the White Sox. Uh, who are prominently featured in this film. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and I I won't get to what the whisper says because that's going to be the trivia question in case this film loses, okay? But, yeah, for me, it's got to be Field of Dreams all the way. When you talk about baseball movies, just like basketball, that Hoosiers comes up in the conversation, you say baseball movies, Field of Dreams is definitely one of the first ones that come up in my mind. So for me, Field of Dreams has got to move on.
6: Uh, I think baseball movies, uh, I'm sorry, uh, left out one of my favorite, Pride of the Yankees. Yes. I know it's old. Yes. But I'm sorry, it's, you know. And it's. There, it's how do you not have Gary Cooper on the list?
4: Lou Gehrig is such a famous exactly. person who but, was stricken with, with a disease, ALS, right. that people associate that disease with, with Lou him. Gehrig. Right. So, Sean. You say, it sounds like you like both of these movies. I do. But I
6: had a tough choice. pick It was a tough choice to pick. And... But I have to say, uh, despite the "no crying in baseball," which is one of my favorite favorite line, scenes uh, on 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 the big screen at all, I have to go with Field of Dreams. Yeah! Yes, I'm it's so excited. It's still
8: not unanimous because A League of mm-hmm. Their Own is beautiful. So both of these oh, it is. Both of these movies are also similar because they tie in very well with familial relationships.
6: Yes, very much so. Um
8: Field of Dreams has a big cryy moment at the end whenever spo- I mean, spoilers for a twenty seven year old movie or whatever. But, but-, but <laughs> for a
6: baseball movie, the 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 thing that put me over the edge for Field of Dreams is the James Earl Jones speech at the end of the movie. Which almost got cut. Which almost did get cut.
4: So this reminds me – this is the trivia question for A League of Their Own since that is the losing film. What is – and everybody knows this. But what is Tom Hanks' famous line in the film that is repeated so many times?
6: Uh, The one that I just said? There's There's no no crying crying in baseball. baseball. (laughs) Yeah.
4: But, you know, if you want to really get into it, you could say, Are you crying? Mm-hmm. Are you crying? There's and, no crying in baseball. I will say this about A League of Their Own. Uh, an amazing cast. Yes. Amazing cast. Mm-hmm. A huge, like an all star cast of female cast members. Tom Hanks, John Lovitz, a great, great cast. John Lovitz was so
6: Madonna. Uh, uh, so
4: a little bit of that movie, yeah. but he was good
6: yeah. as that. Absolutely. So, Feel the Dreams. But Gina Davis. Absolutely.
4: uh, Just fantastic. Peak
8: Rosie O'Donnell just making comments throughout the entire Mm thing.
4: Field of Dreams, you are moving on. And I'm a little terrified to know who's moving on in this next category because this, for me, is an even more difficult decision to make and it's another two great baseball films you have moneyball which is really a movie that's more about the business side of yes. baseball than it is about baseball and if if there's one complaint that i have about this film is that the films the scenes that actually uh show baseball in it being played are not filmed all that well, in my opinion. I don't think so. I can see that. Yeah. Um, And it's not really what they're trying to focus on. They're really focusing more on this character of Billy Bean, and I'll give you the synopsis of Moneyball. Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. It also has a great cast and it recreates one of the one of baseball's great moments, yes. where they had this uh, they had this huge lead. They were ahead by eleven runs or so, mm-hmm. and they blew the lead. Yeah. but they come back at the last minute, and it's a great moment for pre Marvel Chris Pratt as uh, <laughs> Hatterberg Is it Scott. I think it's Scott Hatterberg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't spoil that, but that's the, the synopsis for Moneyball. Now the synopsis for the other great baseball film. Eight Men Out, which has a much better cast than Moneyball by far. A movie about the Black Sox or White Sox scandal when the underpaid Chicago White Sox accepted bribes to deliberately lose the 1919 World Series. And, Cole, I want to hear what your opinion on these two films is and which one you think should move on to the next round. I will be voting for Moneyball in Mm. between these Mm. two.
8: Um, Eight Men Out is very good and, and I'm... I like that these two kind of got the matchup because it's two true stories um, as opposed um, as opposed to Field of Dreams. Um, mm-hmm. But no, these two true stories are very interesting to people that like the history of sports. Um, 1919 was a very, very long time ago, and the Oakland Athletics was much more recent. But I think that the... I think that the storytelling within the – like focusing on one character, Billy Bean, with Moneyball worked a lot better than trying to spread it out to <coughs> Shoeless Joe Jackson and to all the other characters within 8 Men Out.
4: Okay. Sean, I don't agree with Cole on this one. So you are really going to be the tiebreaker the deciding, here. So the pressure the vote? is on – and if the film that I want does not move on, I at least want an opportunity to say my piece, and then we can go to commercial break. But Sean, well, which film is moving on to the next round?
6: Um, because I grew up in the Bay Area,
1: <gasps>
6: you wouldn't. I saw this happen. Oh. Actually, it was after I moved. It was after I moved away from the Bay Area. But this, to me, was one of the the greatest seasons. Because the season before this, the Oakland A's made the playoffs. And they were trying to make the playoffs again. But a bunch of the car- players that they had on that team went away due to free agency. They went to the Yankees. They went to, I believe one of them even went to Boston. There, was, there were five or six good players that left the team. For more money. Yeah, well, yes. And which is a natural thing that happens in baseball. But Billy Bean still put together a team... That made the playoffs the next year. And it's, and the struggle that they had in the office and Jonah Hill's performance in that movie, I'm voting Moneyball. Oh, I also like that
8: these two have the cheap owner angle both going for them as well. Exactly. Um, They lost all their players for the Athletics because their owner wasn't willing to pay what the Yankees were. Exactly. And many say that the Black Sox were. Were urged towards the nefarious yeah, things that they, they did get, because they, they weren't getting, weren't getting paid. paid enough. Yeah, and free agency didn't even exist in 1919. Exactly.
4: So it looks like Eight Men Out has thrown the game for a little Again. extra money that they yeah. never really actually saw. That's the tragedy <laughs> I'm hoping of you're this paying film. Because I'm not. <laughs> the the reason I'm so sad about this is I think this is the greatest sports tragedy. Ever, I you have, watch the I, yeah, you yeah. Watch the film Eight Men Out, and your heart is just broken into a hundred pieces for these baseball players. You have the ones that were very, uh, very, want, very much wanting to do this, and you have some players that were more reluctant, like Shoeless Joe, who actually played his best. Yes, but he took the money. That's the problem. Right, the real tragedy and the the story. You you mentioned the different perspectives. The story does tend to. Sway toward Buck Weaver's perspective played by John Cusack. Mm -hmm. And his is really a tragic story, his and Shoeless Joe's, but his especially because he never took a dime and he never threw any game. He played his best, too. His problem was he didn't come forward with the information that his team players or his team members were doing this. That's why he was banned from baseball for life along with all these others, and it has a great final scene with Shoeless Joe taking off his hat and waving to the very mediocre league that he's playing in because he has been banned for life. Great film, and I guess we can take some solace in the fact that the Black Sox did move on in the bracket in the form of— a field of dreams true but i'll never forgive the two of you just like the little boy will never forgive shoeless joe when he said say, say it, it ain't so, so joe. joe say it ain't so even if you probably didn't actually say it <sighs> yeah more than likely not. actually well it may have just been a creation of a of a newspaper article but anyway we need to take a break when we come back we're going to be getting these other two categories in and see what else is moving on in our sports movie bracket here on screen cleaning have had a good cry. We're back here on Screen Cleaning to move on to the rest of our sports movie bracket. So just if you're keeping sp- score, the, the films that are moving on so far are Field of Dreams, Moneyball, Hoosiers, and Coach Carter. So we've gotten baseball and basketball out of the way. Now we're going to move on to our other two categories, the first of which is our racing
9: category. Next up, the 5,000 meter with America's record-breaking Don Lash leading the American team, Gentlemen, start your engines. Secretary, surging the
1: gate. They will love you or they will hate you. Does not matter. Cuz either way when you're out there, you're on your own. I don't know why I'm doing it anymore. You don't climb into a team. Like you do it because you're driven. Whoa. That sounds
4: captivating. By the way, I neglected to give out the two trivia questions for a couple of films that did not move on in the bracket. So for Eight Men Out, here's the trivia question. What is the team that they threw the series to? Or what's the team that they technically lost to? It's Cincinnati Reds. Right? Cincinnati Reds. That's mm-hmm. right. And then for Teen Wolf... Uh, name the other iconic and much better and huger film that came out that same year as Teen Wolf, and actually Teen Wolf came out just a couple of months after this film. Can anybody name what it is? With Michael J. Fox also? Yes. Yeah. Back to the.
6: Yeah, yeah. Back, be, to, the back to
4: the future. <laughs> back to the future. And I love that Doc, portrayed by Christopher Lloyd, was also represented in this bracket in the film Eight Men Out. And unfortunately, he is out of this bracket. So moving on to the racing category, we have the films Chariots of Fire, which is going up against the Cannonball Run, and Seabiscuit, which is going up against Talladega Nights, the the Ballad of Ricky Ricky, Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Yes. So that was another one of the films that was thrown in there that is – Kind of like what on earth, but it makes a little more sense than maybe say Teen Wolf. Uh, it's racing. Let's I don't know what doesn't to, make sense
6: about it. Uh, you got to throw Logan Lucky into this.
4: That I'm sorry. That could be another year for another bracket. But mm-hmm. we're first. Let's do Chariots of Fire and the Cannonball Run. I've seen both. And it's not going to take me much time to say that the film that's moving on for me is uh, – it's going to do so in slow motion, by the way, if that's any hint. Dun, 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 Chariots dun, dun, of Fire. Judge. Thank you. It's kind of a mix between that and like uh, Six Million Dollar Man, yeah, right? It is, yeah, is. OK. So Chariots of Fire, hands down, moving on in the bracket for Still me. Still
8: won't be unanimous, though, because I'm what? going to
4: defend Cannonball
8: Run, oh. which is an awesome, cool story about a race,
5: a it cross-country should, race. It should be noted
4: that Cole was the one one that put this on the list. Not so, surprising. Go ahead. Because it's fun and... <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Because Dom DeLuise
8: gets together and they... So they get in this ambulance uh, to avoid suspicion for speeding mm-hmm. all the way across the country mm-hmm. um, as they race from one end to the other right. mm-hmm. with a bunch of other characters. Right. It's, mm-hmm. So it's not as good as a couple other, like, wacky race kind of m- movies, like It's a Mad, right. Mad, 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 Mad world, but it still mm-hmm. gets an ensemble cast together. They have hijinks along the way and, and they get to see there's cars sequels. go
6: around. True. There's two? I thought there was just the I one. I think there's
4: two. So, Sean, uh, let's move on I gotta from break this one. The,
6: i got to break the tie here, huh?
4: Yeah. What's it going to be?
6: Uh, hands down. Chariots of Fire. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> it's just, you don't have to apologize. You it, really don't have to apologize. No. I,
6: I, I'm sorry. An Olympic story versus Burt Reynolds and <laughs> Jonathan Winters, who are hilarious, by the way. I That, that is... That is
4: the reason to see that movie mm-hmm. is Burt Reynolds and Jonathan Winters and the outtakes and for during faucet. the credits. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cole, you hit on a, a key phrase in your description, which was not as good as. And that's apparent because uh, Chariots of Fire is moving on in the bracket. So here is the trivia question for uh, – I've already forgotten the, the cannonball the film. Run. Yeah, it's cannonball. unforgettable. <laughs> The Cannonball Run, uh, which, by the way, we did not give the synopses of these movies. Chariots Mm -hmm. of Fire, two British track athletes, one a determined Jewish person Mm -hmm. or Jew, and the other a devout Christian compete in the 1924 Olympics. The Cannonball Run, a wide variety of eccentric competitors participate in a wild and illegal cross-country road race. Which martial arts favorite has a role in this film? Jackie Chan plays an
8: an Asian team that comes together Mm -hmm. in this like, computerized car that's future. But he gets a fight scene that looks really cool when they all get together and kind of fight the ruffians at the end of the race. I
4: wanted to highlight because when I saw that Jackie Chan was in this movie, I was excited. Terry
8: Bradshaw's also in this movie if we're talking about athletes. And then Roger Moore playing Roger Moore is also great.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Chariots of Fire. You, mm-hmm. You're clearly moving on. So our next two films in the racing category, Seabiscuit and Talladega Nights. Now, I want to go on the record by saying uh, although Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, does elicit some chuckles from me, I, I think it is is not one of the better Adam McKay movies, not by a long shot. Um, it does have another great cast in it and one of the many collaborations between Will Ferrell and... And John C. C. Riley. Riley. Yeah. Let me quickly give you the synopses of these films: Sea Biscuit, the true story of the undersized Depression-era racehorse whose victories lifted not only the spirits of the team behind it but also those of their nation. And Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, number one NASCAR driver Ricky Bobby stays atop the heap thanks to a pact with his best friend and teammate, Mm -hmm. Cal Naughton Jr. But when a French Formula One driver makes his way up the ladder, Ricky Bobby's talent and devotion are put to the test. And that description makes this this film sound uh, more serious than it is. It's not a serious movie at all. I am actually going to I shouldn't say actually, it's no surprise that I'm going to vote for Seabiscuit to move on in this bracket. Sean, how about you? I want I'm 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 still undecided, so well,
8: we go know ahead, that Cole. I'm not going to agree with Jeff in any I'm voting for Talladega Nights because it's truly maybe a but top sw- five. But I could
6: be swayed here by either argument. So oh, no. Please I don't know if go right ahead. For that.
8: It's a top five hilarious movie from the mid-2000s. It is the best collaboration between Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. It's the NASCAR angle, Sean. which Sean
4: loves, Sean. and I know I can get him there. Seabiscuit nominated for Best Picture.
8: Seabiscuit, two hours and 20 minutes of boring <laughs> horse racing. No, no,
4: no. Based on the wonderful Laura Hildebrand I think I got that name right book which Mm -hmm. is an amazing listen it's also a great film has another great cast and horse racing has got to move on in the bracket because it is another one of America's great pastimes and there have been so many horse movies that have been made this is one of the better ones and it's got to move on over a NASCAR silly NASCAR movie Talladega Nights the Ballad of Urge Bobby there isn't
8: enough humor in this bracket and this is the funniest movie that we have and it must
4: move on Sean what's it going to be um, I'm going to agree with Cole. Oh
6: yes. my I have, goodness! I have
4: to go with Talladega Knights
6: wow. on this one.
4: This is going to break so this many is the, brackets. I'm sorry, this is an upset. You I don't, think. you yes. don't understand how many brackets you have are breaking at with this careless, callous move. A careless whisper. Wow! But uh, if I had more time, I would argue this. But it's, it's I'm, okay. I'm sorry, I have right. to. I, I agree. Okay. We need so, a comedy. So here is the quick trivia question: Christie uh, Biscuit. What is the radio personality name of William H Macy's character in this film?
6: Oh shoot, I don't remember.
4: In the film Sea Biscuit,
8: I don't think I've ever made it through this movie without falling asleep, so I don't know.
4: The nickname of William H Macy's radio personality in Seabiscuit Biscuit is Tick Tock McLaughlin. Okay. Anyway, I don't, we don't have to remember that because I it's did not like Toby Maguire's performance okay, in
6: that movie. Thank but, you. I'm sorry. John C Reilly and Will Ferrell, hilarious.
4: And when you're racing with a cougar. Ooh. Okay. This one we really need to fly through. It's yep. our kids' movies category. Oh, well, I can... I can the I can. four films, we won't give the synopses of these films, but we've People got the Mighty, du- the Mighty Ducks versus The Love Bug, and we've got The Sandlot versus Space Jam. Hands, hands down, I've already got a winner out of all four. Of okay. But you may, you may not get that chance if it doesn't move on. So of The Mighty Ducks and Love Bug, Cole, what did you choose? Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks here? Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. It's unanimous. That is Woo-hoo! the first unanimous vote of the night. I think we had one other one. With uh, uh, we, we don't have time for that. Okay. And now between Sandlot and Space Jam, I'm going with the Sandlot. Space yeah. Jam?
6: Ha- oh, come on.
4: Wow. The Sandlot. Okay. No. Sandlot uh, oh. is moving on. All right. Now we have the difficult You're task. You're killing
6: me, Smalls.
4: Yes. A lot of iconic lines in that film. We, we have the difficult task now of very quickly uh, narrowing down this list even more. It's down to eight films. So in our baseball category, Cole, are you going with Field of Dreams or Moneyball?
8: Yeah. So as much as I've ragged on Field of Dreams when it was up against a superior movie, that's the one I'm voting for now.
4: Wow. Yes, Field of Dreams. I have to go with Field of Dreams because I've got to get my 1919 White Sox in there. (laughs) And it has a great line, which we're not going to read yet because that's our trivia question. But Moneyball, uh, Billy Bean turns down a hefty contract to manage which, at the time, cursed team? The The Boston Red Sox. That is correct. So Field of Dreams, you're moving on. Which, the the guy who actually took the job, gosh. Took the team to the World Series. That's true. They're glad he did. And uh, okay, between *Chariots of Fire* and *Talladega Nights*, which film are we going with, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. *Talladega Nights* again? *Chariots of Fire*. *Chariots of Fire* here, so keep that slow motion run going on the beach. Ch- 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 dun 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 Ch- 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 dun. *Talladega Nights*. Here's your trivia question, Cole. Uh, what? What are the nicknames of Will Ferrell and— Shake and and bake. There you go. There you go. Shake and bake. Yes. Thank you very
6: much. I'm sorry. That's one of the funniest lines in the movie as well. (laughs) Every line is funny in the
4: movie. All right. Hoosiers versus Mm -hmm. Coach Carter.
8: I will vote Coach Carter because it's a more modern and better shot version of a lot of the same aspects and a lot of the same story. Okay. And I prefer Samuel L. Jackson to Gene Hackman
4: also.
6: Okay. Sean O'Neill— uh, see, for me, it's the backstory of the uh, Dennis. Um, oh, I can't remember the name, his last name now. Well, uh, uh, the, the 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 guy who plays the drunk, the son oh, of the drunk. That's yes. the yeah.
4: trivia question. Oh, so I'm not gonna actor. tell you who it is. Okay, so okay? Well,
6: but that's that backstory to me. It makes the movie, um, and so I'm voting Hoosiers.
4: I'm in the same position that Sean was just in a minute ago. And I'm going to do something that is probably going to break a lot of brackets. And I don't know if it's just because I've seen this film more recently or if it's because it speaks to me speaks to me more or if this other film seems like it doesn't hold up as well over the years. Which it doesn't. I'm going to go with Coach Carter. Oh, my oh. goodness. I can't oh. believe I said that. And we're breaking brackets left and right here on the show. Oh, we need to move on before there's a riot on our hands. Okay. The last, uh, we need to choose between the Mighty Ducks and the Sandlot. Oh, no question. Ducks fly together. No question. Sandlot. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa!
6: Uh, now it's you're up to saying, you, The Jeff. Mighty Ducks,
4: mm-hmm. and the Sandlot. I. It's not even difficult for me, and it's not going to go the way you might think. But the Mighty Ducks oh, are moving no, on to the no. next bracket. So we need to very oh, quickly share terrible. these other couple of trivia questions uh, with you. So we had, let's see, Hoosiers, who plays the drunk in the film Hoosiers. That, of course, is Dennis Hopper, Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper yep, yep. who was nominated for an Oscar for that role. Yep. We, those, two, those last two categories are going to upset a lot of people, I'm telling you right now. Well, it's already upsetting me. In the Sandlot, Smalls uses his stepfather's baseball, which has been signed by what legendary ball player? Oh, come on. The Bambino. The great Bambino. Babe Ruth. Okay, so we'll take care of this after we talk with Sports Nation, Spencer, and Jerem. But the four films that are moving on are Field of Dreams, uh, Chariots of Fire, Coach Carter, and The Mighty Ducks. When we return and after our talk, crosstalk with BYU Sports Nation coming up here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we are going to upset so many people with our sports movie bracket, And uh, we're actually going to now talk to two gentlemen who who are probably a little more authorized to make some of these decisions that we so carelessly, some might argue, made here on screen cleaning today. And that is Jason Shepard and Spencer Linton of BYU Sports Nation. Gentlemen, how are you?
9: Oh, we're fantastic, but have you figured out the greatest movie yet? Mm.
4: We are down to the final four, and after we finish speaking with you, we're going to get down to the final two, but we're not going to have those winners uh, go on until the next round. We're actually going to do two shows. Today we did baseball, racing, basketball, and kids' movies. Okay. And you might be surprised at some that moved on. Let's hear it. Uh well, maybe I want to tease you. Maybe I don't want to tell you what's on there. And you haven't finished out your bracket, so how? why should I tell you? Because you might still want to compete for that free audiobook.
9: Fair enough. <laughs>
4: I'll tell you. Okay, so the the film that's moving on from the baseball bracket, could you guess?
9: Of Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Of Field of dreams.
4: Okay, Field of Dreams, yeah.
9: You can't say no to the catch. Uh, of Chariots
4: of Fire, Cannonball Run Sea Biscuit and Talladega Knights in the racing category, what's moving on? Talladega
1: Knights better be.
4: Spencer?
9: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Talladega Knights.
1: You were wrong. Please don't tell me it was uh Sea Biscuit. No, it was Chariots of Fire. Okay. I, I've never seen Chariots of Fire. Okay. Never seen it. Well, uh,
4: good do, song. Do a slow mo run yeah. down to your local video yeah, store. Go ahead this and put that in the and...
9: category of not seeing It's a Wonderful Life, Jason. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Uh, okay. Um... Uh,
4: basketball of Hoosiers, the fish that saved Pittsburgh, Coach Carter, and Teen Wolf. What do you
1: think moved on?
9: Hoosier's better have moved on yeah. or I have no faith in this bracket. No, no, Hoosier's but a very
1: close second to Teen Wolf because that was some really good basketball <laughs> footage. I will say Teen Wolf is the best werewolf playing basketball movie I've ever seen. Can't argue with that.
4: Um I this one uh oof. we have we broke pretty much every bracket with this one. Uh Coach Carter moved okay, on. Okay, we're done. Coach Carter over moved Hoosiers? On. Okay, yes. th- then there's no
1: validity to this at all. It's wow. done. It's over.
4: Okay. All right. Now, listen. Have there been upsets in the March Madness
1: bracket? Yes it's or no. It's not Coach Carter. Yes or no. Coach Carter, okay. yes Coach no. Carter is not to uh, Marymount Chicago. Come on. Or to Chicago, excuse me. Hey, <laughs> it's just
4: refreshing to see a movie where Samuel L. Jackson is not killing and yelling at people. He's
9: only yelling at people. Okay? Is that ultimately what moved him on in the bracket? N- no. It's a recency
1: bias-y bias because he's Nick Fury. That's why. Hmm. Okay. Kids today only know him as Nick Fury.
4: All right. Now, very quickly, the in the kids' movie bracket: Mighty Ducks, The Love Bug, The Sandlot, and Space
1: Jam. Which one do you think moved? The on? Sandlot. Sandlot. But I think it's probably going to be Space Jam. You are you are wrong on both accounts, sir. Not and The Love Bug. This is
4: another one that is if it hasn't crushed your bracket already, it's definitely going to. And uh it's Mighty Ducks that uh, moved on.
9: Jeff, I'm just angry. Mighty now. Ducks. I'm angry. See, but so many people in the country feel that same way about their own
4: March Madness bracket when their teams that they thought should have won handily didn't win.
1: Right? Right. Yes, but, but who's voting in this? Hoosier's <laughs> is not going to lose to Coach Carter. Okay. Listen. <laughs> okay. For the safety for the
4: safety of those on the board of decision makers. Uh, We are not giving out addresses. We are not giving out names of those who made these decisions just so that they can sleep safely at night.
9: Listen, in March Madness, Coach Carter didn't even make the tournament. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Okay,
4: Spencer Linton just dropped the mic,
1: okay? <laughs> we right? also
4: we also don't want any bricks uh, like drive-by brickings of our windows which happened in the film Coach Carter. So for that for that reason we're keeping the names secret. Fine, but fine. Uh, real quick, Hoosiers what's coming lost. up?
9: What's coming up on your
4: show here in just a few minutes?
9: Wouldn't you like to know, Jeff? I would. Well, we'll start with this. <laughs> Tanner Mangum ruptured his Achilles tendon in November. So, roughly four months ago. It's, for the average person, a year-long recovery. He's already running basically full speed on a treadmill. He posted a video of it yesterday. How does that change the perception of BYU fans for who the starting quarterback will be against Arizona in September? Mm -hmm.
1: Also, BYU football, their schedule is ranked in the top 15 as the one of the toughest in the country will tell you, who said that, and we will discuss: is well, it too you, tough?
4: You just said that, actually.
1: But, but I'm I'm taking it from oh. someone oh, okay. else's publication. I got, I got it.
4: Thank you.
9: Anything okay. else? Anything else? <laughs> yes, we do have some other things. We're two on one with junior wide receiver Akile Davis. How playing defense made him a better offensive player? Yeah, that mm. happened. Okay.
4: All right, gentlemen. I want to give you as much time as you need before your show starts to to calm down, and uh, and and send positive thoughts our way. Okay, you got it, man. <laughs> All right, Spencer and Jason, have a great show. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Whoa. Now, if that's that's just a sampling of the fury that is going to come down on us for this for this bracket, I'm telling you right now, and I guarantee you, Sean O'Neill is going to throw Cole and I under the bus. He's going to say I had nothing to do with it. If I had my ways, these films would move on. But the good news is that uh, because Cole and I made these decisions, probably the most deserving, arguably, of these films is going to move on to the final match. Now, we are going to break this bracket down one more time here for you. Okay, we're gonna br- we're gonna narrow it down to two. So Cole, between Field of Dreams and Chariots of Fire. What is moving on? To and this this the final is the first four.
8: time we have intersport competition. Yes. So, is a racing movie or a
4: baseball movie better? In this case, it is baseball. Sean O'Neill, what's moving on? Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, it is. And uh, Chariots of Fire, the only film in this bracket to win this Oscar. What is Best Picture? That is correct, Sean O'Neill. And then in closing, here Coach Carter is going up against the Mighty Ducks. Cole, what's it going to be? The Mighty Ducks. <gasps> Sean, please don't make this decision difficult for me.
6: Uh, it's already difficult for me.
4: Okay. Because neither one of
6: my choices are you know, on this list. So I'm just um, – I, I, I'm almost flipping a coin here. Okay. Because I just uh, – quickly. Uh, let's go with Coach Carter.
4: And I'm going to say the Mighty Ducks. So next week on Screen Cleaning, you will see not only who wins out of Field of Dreams and the Mighty Ducks, you're going to get our other bracket next week. That's coming up here on Screen Cleaning. But right now we've got BYU Sports Nation.